1: in three, two, one.
4: He takes being cooked to a whole new level. These students can't afford to feed themselves. You do the best you can for your child, and you look around for support, and there's nothing there. Just get up and
5: do our best today, and that's all you can do. Can we
1: just talk? Call 0818
3: Text or WhatsApp 083 396
1: Email opinion at
3: 96fm.ie. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
1: On Cork's 96FM.
6: So, did you go off your game at the weekend? <laughs> did you let the hair down? Actually, no, I don't think... Most people just took it handy and went to see what was going on in town, maybe for a couple of hours. I was out myself on Saturday, but it was a a family event, which was planned anyway. And it was mostly back at the house. But uh, there was a good little crowd out Saturday around the place. But I think a lot of people, people that I was talking to most of the weekend saying, we'll take it handy. You know, we're not going to start falling around the place, licking one another just yet. Um, We'll be, you know, we'll take it easy for a while. But the fact that we can go out is lovely. Uh, and the fact that, you know, we can go into a place and sit at a counter and order a drink for ourselves, it, 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 it's, it's amazing how the little things really, really uh, make us happy, isn't it? But what did you do yourself over the weekend? Did you go to town? Did you just venture down the local? Did you do nothing? Did you say, I'll give it a skip now and let everyone go mad first and then go along maybe myself in a week or two? Did you go to the pub but still go home early? We think a lot of people actually did that, went to the pub, but have gotten so used to going home early in the last couple of years that that's exactly what they did. Um, What what did you do and what will you be doing next weekend now that it's settled in a little bit? Michael O'Donovan, we haven't had him on for a while, a VFI man from Cork course chair of the VFI Cork branch. And the proprietor of the Castle in Michael, good morning.
4: Good morning, PJ. Are are you flat out after the weekend? Well, the body is a bit sore right now, PJ, I can tell you. As we get older, it gets a bit stiffer after busy weekends. But yeah, yeah, it was great. You know, uh, Saturday opened the doors just after lunchtime and uh, steady stream of people in. And, you know, the one thing that they all had in common, the, the words that came out of their mouth, it's great to be back, and especially at the bar counter, you know, mm. talking to people. And I suppose uh, Saturday afternoon, and I suppose more so yesterday because yesterday was it wasn't as busy as Saturday, and you saw uh, you were able to chat a lot more to people. And people were saying, you know, can we sit here at the bar counter on the stools? Yeah. And you'd be saying, you know, no problem, you can sit where you want. Now. um mm. uh, yeah, it's a great feeling.
6: Yeah, Th- the sitting at the bar was was huge for a lot of people. I know myself, and I haven't done it yet, but I know myself I kind of said, you know, I want to go back to a pub, sit at the counter with a pint and listen to a fellow playing music, and then I'll know we're back. That that it's, it's, yeah. it's such a simple thing.
4: It is. Look, yesterday evening in my own pub, you know, some of my, say, older regulars, they might like me hearing them say that, but like, there was six of them sitting across the bar counter yesterday evening at five o'clock, and you know, I was looking at them and i was saying this time you know 3 days ago they'd been sitting at diff- six different tables they were all interacting yesterday where Go back to Friday, there was one or two of them in. There's very little interaction on Friday. And uh, it was just a total change. And, you know, you could see the smiles in their faces that Mm. they could talk to each other. You know, when somebody came in, they were looking at them. If they came up to order a drink next to them, they'd chat to them. You know, there was none of that for the last two years. And Mm. it's, it's, we're Irish. It's what we're about, you know, talking to each other, having a bit of banter, having, you know, a bit of fun. And it's great to see it back.
6: Do you think that a lot of people have gotten used to Michael though going home a little bit early and 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 did they do that this weekend
4: yeah, look, we we saw it, I suppose, on Saturday, but look, maybe Saturday, uh, I suppose it'll take a week or two to see it, or yeah. maybe even longer, but Saturday was maybe a bit different. People had plans in place. You have to remember restrictions were only lifted six o'clock, really. Right. Um, you know, the announcement Friday night lifted Saturday morning. People had plans in place, as you said yourself, to go out for lunch with family, friends, whatever, uh, ex- with the expectation that Saturday would be eight o'clock closing. So a lot of people were out early on Saturday and you know once we got late into night it did taper off uh, come 10, 11 o'clock but the one thing was people were going away staggered in their own time you know as opposed mm-hmm. to uh, the previous couple of weeks where it got to 7 o'clock and everybody was in a rush to try and yeah. get a taxi or yeah. get Get, get home. So it was, much it was better better a relief for you to,
6: as well, Michael, not to have to the, go around telling people at quarter past seven that's your last call. I mean, that must be a relief for just on on the subject of of um, late closing in general. I read at the weekend that there's uh, a lot of your colleagues and yourselves now are looking at trying to get this bar extension rule reformed. Is it do you have to pay individually for every bar extension you have?
4: Yes, it, it, it's called a special exemption order, PJ. And every bar that goes past the normal closing times that a seven-day licence would have, um, especially you know weekends past twelve thirty out for one o'clock, uh, they have to pay for a special exemption order. There's a process that you have to notify the gardy. Uh, you have to. have dance license you have to have um notified the fire officer has to be on your you know report Um, and then you have to apply to the courts so it's it's a process that you have to go through and then for each individual night, it's 410 euros uh, plus your legal fees, obviously, on top of that. Hold on. So this, so, is so, so
6: a lot of pubs, and I'm thinking now in terms of, say, Douglas, where I live, where a, lot, a number of the pubs there would, would stay open late at the weekend or at least did pre-pandemic. So they've got to get a booking extension every
4: single night of that every single night of that they can go into court now they would do it in chunks you know yeah. there there's a, a specified period that you can apply for a certain amount of those uh, exemptions but yes each one of those nights would cost 410 euros. Um, And what we've been asking is that, uh, like last week, actually last Friday, was the submission for the Reform of uh, Licensing Act. So we made a submission on it. And uh, what we've asked is that it could be streamlined in that you could do it online. And once the Gardaí had no objection, that it should be a simpler process that you can just apply online. Uh, for a nominal fee, because obviously 410 euros makes it very expensive for any premises to be doing that. I'm just every looking night.
6: at it here, Michael, if you did that every weekend of the year, on say Friday and Saturday night, you're looking at 24,320
4: quid plus legal fees. Plus legal fees on top of it, and then it's, um, you know, you've stipulations attached to most of them, you know, that you have to have a certain amount of... Security staff, you know, well, uh, CCTV, which most would have now anyway, but there are stipulations even on top of that, PJ, which makes it even more expensive um, to to go because the judge may set uh, individual criteria on premises as well. So um, it's uh, yeah, look, it's it's a very expensive um, procedure. uh, Over the years, a lot have stopped doing it. It's archaic. It is, and look, that's where we're hoping that Minister McAtee will reform this, that in this day and age, uh, when we can use emails and Um, You know, apply online for so many things that this could be done once the gardaí are satisfied that there's no issue with that premises applying for that individual uh, stipulation. Like if there was an issue, then obviously you could revert back to the court scenario to hear whatever issues the gardaí have. But uh, for most premises, it's it's procedure really that you have to go in every month to get your month's allocation.
6: And is that why sometimes you'll notice the point? I know it's not popular to say this, but it does. The pint goes up sixty cents or something after midnight.
4: Is that where that happens? Yeah, absolutely. Because look, if not only do you have that cost, uh, PJ. Once you go past um, the normal trading hours, your insurance premium will change as well. So, in order to make it anyway viable, that is what uh, what what has happened. Mm.
6: What's How does it compare in the UK? What's the cost over there?
4: <laughs> ten euros is a special. Well, what they what they call it is a late night license, and it's it's well, it's ten pounds. Sorry, yeah, uh, for a late night license in the UK. <laughs> ten pounds. Ten pounds. Big difference. It is, and uh, because you'd
6: have so if we say a hundred and two nights in the year, so a hundred and two by ten is one thousand. We'd say one thousand twenty pounds compared to twenty four thousand three hundred and twenty euros.
4: Yeah, it's a, uh, it's it's oh. a, it's a staggering difference. But look, hopefully, in the process that we're going through now at the moment, that uh, Minister McAtee has uh, started, that um, that reform of this will will take place during the year.
6: One last one. I was chatting to a publican uh, or a bar manager at the weekend, Michael, in a in a very prominent establishment, um, and he said to me he was seriously thinking of holding on to table service and maybe only opening a small section of his bar because he said he had found women were more comfortable with table service that they didn't
4: like the crowd around the bar. Yeah, look, uh, I suppose each one, each, each publican will tailor their, their business to what they've seen, you know, over the last two years. I suppose it has been eye opening for many to see table service uh, in the bars because uh, before the pandemic hit; it wouldn't have been heard of really in yeah. a lot of bar scenarios.
3: Yeah.
4: Um. So everybody, yeah. Look, we'll have to tailor. I suppose it will depend on your your um age cohort that you you service in your bar. You know how you can uh, work that around in your premises.
6: Okay, Michael. Thank you very much, Michael Donovan, from the Cataline and, of course, chair of the VFI's Cork branch. So how did you do at the weekend? I th- want to focus on that table service one in particular. Um, chatting to this uh, bar manager at the weekend, just about the changes and all that, and he said he was keeping table service, uh, preferably he would use table service going forward. He might open a small section of the bar where you could order. He was still thinking about it. I asked him why, I said, you know, the bar counter. He said because some, he has phoned in the time they were able to open during the pandemic with the restrictions and all that, he has found that women were actually more comfortable with the table service, and that they didn't actually like the the big crowds up around the bar, because there was nearly always crowds of men, big crowds of men around the bar, and they didn't like approaching the bar through big crowds. So he said the nice way to do that is keep table service in place, and then maybe have a small section of the bar, cause it's quite a big premises, a small section of the bar, where... Uh, people could sit at the counter. That table service, like if you've ever been away to Spain, like table service is the norm in most pubs, that you've been to anyway on the holidays. Table service is the norm. So, you know, maybe it's just a change that has come through the pandemic that a lot of people might um, might stick with. Uh, I'd like to know what you think. 083-396-96-96 or 0818-96-96-96 Now, there's drinking and there's pubs and then there's smoking. And we got an email from a listener with regards to smoking and I'll read it for you. If you want to... You, you might. I mean, you were. Were you doing school runs still, or were you doing school runs up to a few months ago?
7: I was until I got this job, PJ. Yeah.
6: <laughs> yeah. So let's. I'll, I'll read this and we we'll see what we think. I walk my little girls to school every morning on a busy road where there's loads of other parents and kids, both walking and driving. Now maybe this is just me. There's a couple of parents who walk tiny kids to the preschool on the same street, puffing away on cigarettes as they go. Blowing smoke into the little ones' faces, into each other's faces, and all the rest of us end up walking in the cloud they leave behind. In this day and age, PJ, could they not have the fag after they drop the child, or at least away from them? I know it's outside, but it's horrible to be walking in a cloud of cigarette smoke knowing that all the little ones are inhaling it too. My own parents smoked in the house, the car, everywhere, as most people did back in the 80s. I have asthma to show for it too. But surely, With all we know now, could they wait another ten minutes and keep it for another time? I know a lot of young parents, Fiona, who just don't smoke in front of the children.
7: Yeah, PJ, and I know that the lady said herself there, it is outside, but there's absolutely nothing worse than walking into a cloud of somebody else's smoke. And, um, you know, if you have decided not to smoke for whatever reason, it's horrible then to have to inhale somebody else's smoke and indeed then for your kids as well. So Mm. we got this email last week and I was thinking about it over the weekend and I was wondering, would it be something that people would be in favour of um, to have smoke-free zones outside? outside schools the way we have mm. outside hospitals do you know I mean um, I don't like the idea of my kids walking into other people's cloud of smoke I don't smoke um, I never smoked in the house but um, I was wondering what listeners feel about that do you feel yeah. that you know you asked me there about the, the school run now I haven't done it this year but last year I did and um, it was something that I noticed uh, not so much around the school itself but definitely on the walk to school you'd have people maybe walking in front of you and they're puffing away and the smoke is coming back behind you um, and it is it's a health concern for many many people so I was wondering what the listeners think of that yeah.
6: I mean there are no smokers in my house so mm-hmm. we, we, we've never had to to even think about it but I know one or two people of, m- of my own acquaintance th- as soon as they had ch- they don't smoke in front of the children mm. they do not they, they, they have a smoke when they're out on their own or they go to the back they, they don't smoke in front of the children because they don't want them to pick up the habit
7: I know. And I suppose with the, the, the no smoking in, in bars, it, it brought about um, a lot of people now having cigarettes outside their house, as you mentioned, that people won't smoke in their house. And, mm. do you know, I know I have a lot of friends who don't want their children to even see them smoking, as you said, like, you know, so they'll they'll go outside or they'll go off down the road a little bit to have their cigarette. And, um, you know, kids being inquisitive, they're going to ask you, what is that? What I know my little fella, he's just turned eight at the weekend and he has asked me about it as well, do you know. Mm. So, you know, outside the school, even around the school, on the walk to school, is it appropriate for kids to, or for people to be smoking around children?
6: Because I can remember, and I'm older than you, but I, I, I can remember going to school, and there were, you know, kids of eleven and twelve and thirteen, you know, experimenting, picking mm. up, picking up butts that people had left to see what it was like for themselves.
7: Yeah, and Peter, we've just actually got a message here from somebody. I fully agree with the smoking around children. As a non-smoker, it drives me nuts. My parents too smoked around me as a child. I don't allow her to smoke when she's in my car. When she borrows my face mask, she can't understand why I complain that it smells. So, yeah. Anybody else who has any comments, let us know.
6: Okay, thank you. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six, and oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. So well, it's the two things. Should there be? And no smoking zone outside schools, play schools like there is outside hospitals. And do you smoke in front of your kids? Should you smoke in front of your kids? O eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six
8: Can we just talk?
6: The Opinion Line on
3: Cork's 96FM. With
1: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. Cmig.ie. The Cork Diary on Cork's 96FM. The 300,000 Steps Challenge for Cope Foundation gets underway on Tuesday the 1st of February. The aim is to walk over 10,000 steps every day throughout the month and help raise vital funds for the Cope Foundation. For all the details and how to donate, visit cope-foundation.ie and all funds raised will go towards empowering people with intellectual disabilities and or autism across Cork City and County. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie
6: Cork's 96fm. I noticed something this morning as I was on my way into work and I said, oh yeah, they're gone now. We don't need them anymore. What was it? I'll tell you later. See, can you guess? Something I spotted, most normal thing in the morning, on my way to work. I do it maybe three of the four or five mornings in the week. And I think, oh, look at that. That's gone. I wanted to know what I'm talking about. And yeah, we were told in the letter from the chief medical officer last week, the letter of the government, that it's okay now to lift restrictions. So that's why we're okay with it. There's no argument about it anymore. Restrictions are lifted, pubs are open, some people are uncomfortable, and that's understandable, and they will stay at home and do their own thing. But other people welcomed it big time over the weekend, and which is only right. 0818 96 96 96. Now, some great investigative work done last week uh, in the Irish Independent, and it has led to a decision by Revolut. Uh, who has Revolut. I've got it, I love my Revolut, but it's made a decision by Revolut to block credit card payments to gambling websites. Because the Irish Independent discovered that it was possible to open an account on a gambling app with a credit card, even though that's not supposed to be allowed. You could still do it if you used Revolut, if you used Apple, or if you used Google Pay. And it emerged... Following um, an investigation by the Irish Independent, Barry Grant is CEO of Problem Gambling Ireland and joins me. Barry, the, the, the use of a credit card for gambling apps is effectively outlawed, but this was a workaround. Good morning.
9: Morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Well, just to be technical, it's not outlawed. Like It's not on any legal or statutory footing. It's a voluntary thing that Okay. Out. Gambling operators have done themselves. It has been outlawed in the UK. And I suppose on on the foot of that happening last year, uh, some of the big gambling operators, I think Paddy Power was the first one out of the blocks, said that they were going to do it voluntarily in Ireland. So it's not against the law, although many of the the main online gambling operators have signed up to this kind of code of practice that they would. Uh, bye, bye. So unfortunately, what happens then is because, as we know in this modern age, and I'm a big fan of Revolut as well, I use it myself a lot, uh, that there are so many different ways to pay for something online. There are quite a few loopholes there as were exposed by that great work by Adrian Wegler. Um, I think if the gambling operators were serious about this kind of blocking of of credit card payments, they would just cut out the ability to pay uh, through things like Apple Pay, Google Pay, PayPal as well will be another one that a lot of our service users would use a, as a workaround for that. And it's great to see Revolut putting in that 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 kind of block at their end as well. And even for Revolut users, uh, you could, there's a little function within Revolut, which is why you've been re- recommending it to people for a few years, where you can just turn off... Uh, access to online gambling anyway that's been there for quite a while and there's a cooling off period on that so if you were to turn it back on you'd have to wait 48 hours before you could use it so you know uh, in fair play to a revolute for for extending that because in the past when
6: i've talked about about gambling and the addiction to gambling the stories people would tell you about having a week's wages spent off the card or running up hundreds of in debt on the credit card before they were home from work like to frighten you?
9: Yeah, it is frightening and quite often people use credit cards to chase their losses so I mean chasing your losses is one of the classic indicators that your gambling has gotten out of control Explain
6: that term to me now Barry because I've not heard it before Oh,
9: apologies PJ Yeah, so just uh, chasing your losses so let's say I do a best and I lose 100 quid on payday and instead of saying Ah sure well I had my bit of fun I took my chances I, I lost And I walk away, I say, Well, I want that money back. So maybe I do another 100 euro bet, but that one goes down. Now I'm 200 in the hole. And you know that term that gets used a lot where people double down. So they might, okay. I'm down 200, so I'll do a 200 euro best to try and win back my original 200. And then, you you know, depending on how the bet goes, you could be 400 in the hole and so on and so on. And it's that inability to walk away from your losses and just cut your losses and say, okay, I'm going to take this on the chin. I lost some money. Walk away. Uh, Because chasing your losses, the more bets you do, you know, obviously you're going to have some winning bets, but the more time you spend gambling and the more that you do over time the more likely you are to lose money just in terms of probability and and the statistics being against you and of course human nature being against you as well because we start have this capacity to lose the run of ourselves and we get desperate and stressed.
6: And and the digital spending anyway is is a new, I mean my my daughter amazed me a couple of weeks ago that she said she rarely if ever carries cards or anything in her purse, she does everything with her phone and she's now got a, one of these watches that's linked, so she can actually pay for stuff with her watch which is great it's, it's very convenient but I can imagine in the hands of a problem gambler it's lethal
9: Yeah I mean many people have said it to me over the years that I've been working with in our counselling service that they just stay away from online gambling altogether now you can get into a lot of trouble in a bookie shop or in an arcade or a physical casino but when you're dealing with digital currency, the, 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 the numbers in your bank account or the numbers on the screen on an online gambling app or website, it's a totally different ballgame. Everybody says the same thing. The money doesn't feel real. So when you're winning money, it doesn't feel real. When you're losing money, it doesn't feel real. It just feels like a video game, you know, just points on the board on a video game. So, you know, if people are gambling and if they want to keep us as, as moderate and as recreational as possible, I would recommend to people that use cash money Mm. because you're going to notice it much more you know do it in physical venues obviously people can develop addictions in physical gambling venues but it's it's substantially less harmful uh, than online
6: You you mentioned that this is um it's now law in the UK that you can't use a credit card and I know that a couple of months ago Sinn Féin had a draft legislation or were drafting legislation Tommy Gould was was bringing it up Uh, and I don't know where where that went so like you correctly said at the start it's not law just yet how quickly does it need to be law, Barry?
9: Uh, We'd love to see us I mean the the new gambling control bill uh, uh, Minister uh, James Brown or Junior Minister James Brown has that published, and I think it's going to go through this uh, sitting of the doll, the first stages of that, but I mean, the original Gambling Control Bill was published in 2013, that's nearly nine years ago now. Mm -hmm. Um, There are many uh, kind of small but important things that could be done, like a, a legislative ban on credit card gambling as proposed by Deputy Gould. Um, the Labour Party, Senator Mark Wallace, forward a bill proposing ban a ban, although I think he said he'd be happy even if there were some restrictions like a, a watershed ban on gambling advertising these things could be done piecemeal while we're waiting, and we are still waiting a very long time for the yeah. big piece of, of gambling legislation to bring in a regulator. And that would be a really important one. I mean, gambling uh, people get into enough trouble gambling with money that they actually have, right? Their own money, their wages, or their savings. When you start gambling with the bank's money, with the credit card companies' money, you know, we've worked with people who've maxed out five, six, seven, eight credit cards in a very short space of time, and then you're dealing with that debt, you could be dealing with that debt for years the interest rates on credit cards are massive as people would know Um, so anything that can be done to reduce the harm around that would be really important.
6: And lastly if we did get that legislation through and we did have the ban similar to the UK, would that also ban these workarounds?
9: Uh, Ideally it should, I mean what we should see is online gambling operators only taking payments from what they know to be a debit card, right? So, not something that's been, even, you know, some of the people that we work with would buy prepaid uh, credit cards, kind of like the pay save cards that you can buy in any of the corner shops. Yes. And they could they buy that with their credit card, right? So, uh, would, there would need to be a system in place where it could be proven, look, this is your debit card. It's not prepaid, you know, using a credit card. It's not through your PayPal or your Google Pay or any of these other ones. Um, so, we'd need some joined up thinking around that.
6: Yeah, someone else said here, I should mention that banks and not just third party ATM providers, you know, those ones that put in, they're all putting ATMs into casinos now. That's another danger point.
9: Well, yeah, you should definitely not have ATMs and casinos. I mean, that's an absolute no-no. I mean, even the casinos that exist in Ireland or the arcades uh, are in a very, very grey area in terms of legislation and regulation. Mm,
6: okay. All right, Barry, thanks. Barry Grant, uh, CEO of Problem. Gambling Ireland. That was great work by the Irish Independent, uh, Adrian Wechter, who's been on the show a couple of times about technical matters. But now Revolut have already said they will block these remote payments. Uh, And I remember talking to Deputy Gould about it a few months ago about the legislation that they want to put through. Colin says, I witnessed a woman buying €3,000 worth of lotto tickets on a credit card. There's a lot of contradictions in this area. It needs comprehensive legislation I'm on my way to work and I can't talk but I may come on another morning I heard something a few weeks ago I don't know whether this is right or wrong because I was only kind of half listening to the story or I couldn't quite gather it it's probably my own fault someone went into the shop to buy 21 scratch cards for a person who was having their 21st birthday I always say 40 scratch cards for someone who was having their 40th birthday and we're told we can't sell you that many scratch cards Anymore? Is that true, or am I imagining that? That if you want to, you know, it was a common enough thing. Eighteenth, twenty-first, you'd go into the corner shop and you'd buy twenty-one scratch cards and stick them into a birthday card, and person might win three quid or something. But it was fun. Uh, not can you any shop actually have us on at the moment that sells scratch cards? Am I imagining, it or is there some kind of a limit now? on the number of scratch cards that I can get over the counter if I want to buy something for for a person's birthday. On smoking outside the school. All right, okay. For God's sake, would you leave the smokers alone? Those women are outside. Let them alone, for God's sake. It's their business. Stop the anti-smoking brigade going on about this. Ye fecking idiots. I'm, I'm reading it from the screen here. Who are ye to tell smokers what to do? There's a lot worse going on in some of these non-smokers' homes. That's from Anne, a non-smoker. Okay. Is that the no-smoking zone at CUH where everyone gathers for a fag? Oh, don't. Oh, don't. That's the bridge over... Yeah. Oh, listen, we've been through that one, and you get killed when you say a word. Kevin says, after seeing studies of pollution outside schools, I'd be more worried about Mary's car idling outside than somebody having a smoke yeah, There's a few more as well 0818 96, 96, 96.
8: Can we just
6: talk The Opinion Line
3: On Corks 96 FM With
1: McCarthy Insurance Group Call in person or call them now They don't just talk the talk They walk the walk CMIG.ie The
3: Two Grand Minute Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 Every day Answer 10 questions to claim all that cash. Stacking up the cash. Cash!
1: cash. cash. The two grand minute.
3: On Casey and Ross in the morning. Oh, Courts 96 FM.
6: Yeah, I'd still, has anyone figured out yet what that is that I spotted this morning around five past seven? I said, oh, that's interesting. That's gone. And completely surprised me that it was. Anyone figured it out yet? Yeah. Uh,. Okay we we think there is um a limit someone rang from a spar uh, to say that there is a limit now of 10 scratch cards per person so the days of going in to buy 21 scratch cards per person 21st or whatever they're gone now you only buy 10 Per person, per time. Thanks for that. 0818 96 96 96. A lot of people responding to the smoking outside schools. I'll, I'll come back to them all. But did you notice there's a fierce shortage, or we're told there's a huge shortage, of used cars for sale? And oh, the price of them is is going up. Big time. Uh, Geraldine Herbert from uh, wheelswomen.ie. Geraldine, good morning to you.
10: Good morning, PJ. So I wasn't
6: just imagining it. There is a shortage.
10: There is. Actually, there was, um, there was a report by Dundee earlier in the month, and they, um, they estimate that some cars are up more than 56% the value they were before the pandemic. So that's, you know, that, that's a huge increase that we're looking at at the moment, PJ. Mm.
6: And is that because there's just such a demand for cars and the supply chains were all, were all messed up by the pandemic?
10: Yeah, there's sort of two things happening. There's, which we talked about in the past, this global chip shortage. So that means that there's a delay on new cars coming into the country. When that happens, people tend to think, you know what, I'll I'll leave buying a new car, you know, and I'll I'll postpone buying one until next year. And then also Brexit um, has impacted on imports. Now, imports are down, I think it's about 45% on 2019. And remember, 2019 was sort of the last normal year of trading. So that's a huge difference. Um, So basically, as you said, There's a huge demand for second-hand cars at the moment and just a a, a lack of supply.
6: There was a a time, Geraldine, and I did it, I don't know if you did it, you bought a car and you drove it until the backside fell out of it. That doesn't happen anymore.
10: No, but at at the moment, no matter what um, car you have and no matter how old it is, it's still actually up on value, which is extraordinary. Because, I mean, the idea of a car gaining in value is completely the opposite of what, what normally happens. But um, yeah, people don't do that anymore. They tend to change their cars more regularly. But the thing at the moment is that the, I suppose the bad news for buyers at the moment um, PJ is even if your car is making money and you know you have a six-year-old car, the chances are if you're trading up, you're going to trade up to a three-year-old car, and the three-year-old car has actually made more money than the six-year-old. So there's nothing to be gained at the moment. The only people who are in a strong position is if you have a second-hand car and you're trading up to a new car because new car prices haven't been impacted in the same way as second-hand.
6: Yeah, new, new, there's all sorts of offers out there on new car prices actually assuming you can get the new cars
10: well that's the problem i mean you're looking at and with some dealerships at the moment anything from four to five months wait now you know yourself most people who want a new car want it in january or february on the latest they're not prepared to wait until may so that's definitely going to impact on new car sales this year which is only going to add to the problem and as far as the chip shortages is concerned we don't expect to see that any sort of breakthrough in that till the end of the year, really? so this is going to be a situation that's going to continue for, for the foreseeable future, anyway.
6: Crikey, because that chip shortage, and you went through it with me before, there's so much electronics now in, in modern cars, particularly electricals and our hybrids and all that, the, 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 the chips are in global short supply, so it could, yeah. be, it could be a year.
10: Yeah, so at the end of 2022 is what they're looking at for this. And of course, even when that sort of sorts itself out, it'll take a while for, it to, you know, for the supply chains to get back to normal. So I think you could be looking at January 2023 before we see sort of the usual delivery times for cars. But the problem is these cars, new cars just can't come off the production line because there's so many things within the car that's dependent on these chips and they're in, you know, huge shortage at the moment. Now, some car makers are more impacted than others, but generally, as I said, four to five months you
6: could be waiting for, for a and new car. This might explain why one or two of the major dealers have actually started doing second hand cars and doing deals on second hand cars and have opening entire second car secondhand car showrooms.
10: Yeah, absolutely. And you'll find that car dealerships are much less sort of choosy about the second-hand cars they, co- they take in, whereas they might have liked only the newer ones. Now they'll basically take anything. Also, remember as well, if you're trading in a second-hand car, you're in a really good, a strong position. So shop around from as, you know, to as many dealers as you can and get the best price. Because as I said, if you have a second-hand car to sell at the moment, you are in a strong position. Your problem is what you're going to buy. Yeah. You know, but at least get the best deal on the car you're selling.
6: So if you're taking one in as a trade-in and you're spot a nice new shiny car in the lot. You're taking the old one in as a two or three year old car to trade in. You you you've got bargaining power there.
10: Oh, absolutely! You're in a really good position. So get the best price, definitely.
6: All right, okay. Listen, Geraldine, thanks for that, Geraldine Herbert, Ms. and uh, motoring for the Sunday Indo. Also, second hand cars making more money than than the new one. That's like that's that's bonkers. That's just bonkers stuff. I saw a Nissan Note for sale. Uh, ten, year, ten, 10 grand bargain, they were, they, they were a great car Palomine drove a Nissan Note for a while, I nearly bought them one myself one stitch they were a fine car shocked to hear the Russians would be testing missiles off the Cork coast, they shouldn't be allowed to do this in our waters there must be something up, you see technically they're not our waters, if, if you read into that story, they're far enough off our coast to be not in our waters they're in our commercially sensitive area, but they're not in our territorial waters. They're miles outside that. There's 200 and something miles or kilometres outside. If the Russians went another 20 miles, no one could say a word from. them. That's how close they are. Do you want to... We were talking about it this morning in the office. Does anybody actually care about that? There's Obviously, the predictable people hopping up and down and disgust about it, and it's... You know, making the nine o'clock news and all that. But is, does anyone actually care about the Russians firing a few missiles into the sea 200 and something miles off the coast? Do you care? Don't know whether you do or not. That's why I'm asking. Yes, PJ, that's right about the scratch cards. Ten cards at one time happened to be in a shop and a post office, says John in Blackpool. And what about the road bowling? There's huge sums being bet there. 17 grand a game. And they're getting into it very young, some of them too young to buy a lottery ticket. There's underground betting going on as well with bare-knuckle fights and dog fights. Betting is sad, but it's an addiction. And I wonder if you regulate the respectable betting too much, will you drive people into more sinister scenes and more unregulated types of gambling? Morris, we should ban gambling altogether. It's the biggest mugs game there is, and it's detrimental to people's lives, marriages and families. Our government seems to be doing more and more to promote vice in all its shapes and forms. Gambling is a vice and should be banned outright. And what people never question is whether the tables are rigged or the games they're playing are fixed for them to lose, lose and lose again. Thanks, Morris. And back to the smoking. Jimmy says, what about breaking... Ah, Jimmy... What about breaking wind outside the school? Yeah, go way out of that yet, So, Morning. Listen to your PJ back in November and you had a lady on t- about smoking and she told us about an app called QuitSure. I followed that app for the six-day programme. Haven't smoked since November 21 after 50 years. Can't thank you enough. Best thing I've ever done. That's great. You might thank the lady that told us about the app. Hope it helped other people. That's from Noreen. Uh... I fully agree with the smoking around children. As a non-smoker, it drives me nuts. Uh, dear PJ, I walk my little girls to school every morning. Oh, that's the original one. Yeah, that's the original message. i was reading it again. Okay. A lot of your things just leave the smokers alone. I, I don't know. I don't know, you know. I, I don't like, and maybe I'm going to be preaching here for a second. I don't like smoking around children. If you want to smoke, smoke. I don't care. I've never smoked. But I don't like smoking around children. There's been a vote in the European Union on changes in the rules around live animal transport. And some of the changes are worrying to animal rights activists, campaigners like our old friend John Campbell. John, good morning. Good morning, Chapidja. Explain to me here what's happened and why you're concerned. (coughs)
11: Well, here's the thing, and for any of your listeners, they're probably having their morning coffee. PJ tuned into your show. Uh, mm. Ireland is no stranger to sending animals abroad to, to countries. Um, your your listeners might remember back in the 90s, uh, the Brighton Sea, Kent, Dover live export campaigns. You might remember thousands of people out in the streets from all walks of life trying to block the trucks going into the ports mm. to stop sending the... the The bulls over to various countries. Um, So that hasn't ended. Well, that has largely kind of wound it up in the UK. And there's there's a lot of progress um, with the issue over there. But here in Ireland, we're in short, Peter, we're still sending um, calves and we're still sending bulls to other countries such as Libya and Turkey and all those other places. So, there's obviously an understandable huge amounts of concern and no you don't have to be a vegan PJ and you don't have to be a vegetarian for someone to find fault with what's going on Mm -hmm. by sending these sentient animals No, I have to say John, I agree
6: agree with you because I've seen some of the photographs and and it's it's not, it it cannot be comfortable (laughs) for those beasts
11: it absolutely can't no more than it would be for any dog or cat that we put into these trucks as well and it's absolutely heartbreaking and you don't have to take my word for it or anyone else's word for it that works in you know on, on campaigns for animal rights the the reality is is that these animals are suffering terribly so what happened um in the last couple of months was that there was efforts in the european union to try get a ban on we'll say younger calves being sent abroad um that are that are not winged sent mm. abroad so that was thankfully passed but it, it it's a fantastic. I wouldn't call it a victory. Um, it's it's a big win for animal welfare campaigners. But the reality is is that we're still sending so many of these animals abroad to suffer, and the trade needs to stop. Basically, I mean, you know, it's going to happen in the UK. We believe in the in in the, the next couple of years. There's a lot of um, efforts underway to try secure the, the the ban. So we're hoping that it needs to happen here as well in this you country. You'd like all live
6: export ban, would you, John?
11: It it needs to happen, PJ. I mean, look, yes, we don't share our lives with, with cows and sheep. We don't have them in our lives. So we find it hard to kind of understand their sentient beings that they want to live. They don't want to be packed into um, these trucks that we see on the roads. And their little mm-hmm. heads are sticking out through the the bars. And they're, as you're probably on a motorway and there might be, Cars in front of you are stuck in traffic, and right beside you, you could see one of these dead trucks. And those poor animals are looking out, and when you look into their eyes, you know that there's someone
6: home. Mm. See, the thing is, you have a lot of, lot of, I mean, our meat trade, let's face it, our meat trade is, <clears> is <throat> crucial to the economy. And and there are many customer nations, as you might call them, who just won't take it if it's pre slaughtered.
11: You see, and, and here's the thing, well, Yes, Ireland, PJ, and what you say is is obviously the reality in this country. And there's probably farmers listening now. They want to go have a go at me. But what I say to them is that we have to move forward. We have to move beyond this trade. Um, there's been so many undercover investigations that have shown awful heartbreaking acts of cruelty um, to these poor animals when they're being taken off of the trucks her- or herded onto the, the ships. Uh, they're packed into these crowded ships. They're probably days at sea. Um, even for the little calves, they can be left without milk for so many hours when they're taken away from their mams. And they actually cry. They've been heard to cry as well. And mm. um, they've been known to cry, should I say. And, and and that is the reality. But we can't keep coming back to this by saying that... But, but John, you know, John, because the country I, makes so much money. And I know... It's, 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 no, 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 it's, country, an
6: economic, it's an economic argument. And I see where you're coming from. And you and I know each other long yeah. enough now to... I respect your point of That's, view very very much but of course but, but it's a big question what it, you're saying it's it's a huge driver of our economy and our food business and some customer nations simply won't take the meat if it's just if they get carcasses they simply won't take it so what do you do then
11: well, I I say they can go to hell in a handbasket as a matter of fact, <laughs> um, because we've been doing this for so long and it's easy now for John Carmody to come on your show at 10 to 10 on a Monday morning and just say wrap up this trade full stop. And, mm-hmm. and I know that's probably not going to happen anytime soon. But the reality here as well is, is that we can't make this trade any nicer. There's no regulations. There's no laws that are going to make the suffering of these animals any way bit better. I mean, they're suffering from dehydration. Um, they could be starving because they're out, out at sea for, for days. And not only just that, the actual heartbreaking part of this as well, Peach, is that when these animals get to the, the country of destinations, the other countries, sometimes like Libya, have very little to no animal welfare standards. Mm. Not that it really makes too much sense to these animals who have to be Killed, but it's 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 certainly hell on earth for sure. Um, and I would challenge anyone who would question what I have to say not to listen to me, as a matter of fact, but to see the undercover investigations themselves. And I just wish to God there was something else that we could do that would end this trade and and get farmers just to focus on some other kind of aspect of farming that doesn't have to involve this 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 type of trade for sure. Mm. You,
6: you would prefer not to be <laughs> use, not to be using <clears throat> animals at all, wouldn't you, John? <laughs>
11: You know, you know, good question, PJ. I'll get to that actually in a second. But here's the other thing as well. I remember a couple of years ago, Joanna Lumley, she's a fantastic advocate of animal rights and she'd done a, a press photo call for Compassion in World Farming in the UK and she was on a bus. And the campaign tagline at the time was basically comparing that when we're on a bus or when we're on the Lewis up in Dublin, for instance, we can actually press a bell to get off of that packed bus or that packed Lewis, PJ. But here's the thing. Those poor animals, when they're on the trucks or we're on, when they're on the ships... God love them. They can't. They they can't press a button. They can't press a buzzer to say, I want to get off, you know. So they're obviously, you know, relying on people like ourselves to speak out and to bring attention to this issue. But the reality is, PJ, is that we've turned a corner in this country when it comes to animal rights and animal welfare. We've gone more progressive. We've gone more aware. And I have to say it, PJ, <clears throat> it's all down to shows like yourself giving us time to come on, having the good old friendly arguments, throwing our ideas back and forth getting listeners involved and people do pick up on these things and that's where the change happens I do do remember the the live
6: export protests back in the day, I I do remember the protests and we're going to cover them I remember how angry farmers got some farmers got anyway when we even interviewed protesters and we've moved on from those days which which, which is no bad thing. John, a pleasure as always to speak with you on the opinion line. John Carmody, uh, animal rights campaigner and advocate for many a long day. Thank you John I don't know how you feel about these live exports. You know, I, I really don't. Um, <sighs> you 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 have to listen to what John says sometimes and say, you know what? It's not the nicest thing to do to pack cattle and sheep into trucks and put them on the high seas to be killed overseas. It's a necessary business, but it's not a nice one. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. On smoking. Hi PJ, my name is Burr, and I am a smoker. Could you please tell these people who don't smoke, stay out of my life, mind their own business, and get a life of their own. Okay? So you hate smoking in front of kids. Same people are lashing back bottles of wine and box loads of gin and tonic every night in front of their kids. That's much worse than smoking. Get off the stage the lot of you. You're on your high horses. And again, a non-smoker.
3: Okay. All right.
1: That's fine.
3: Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With
1: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Let me
3: show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix.
1: Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. In the afternoons on Lee Side, you gotta be with Cork's 96 FM, right? Oh God, yeah. Brilliant tunes and a bit of crack. Why do I feel like I'm talking to my brother? We actually bought a radio just to listen to you. And I'm always good for a giveaway. Well
3: done!
8: Thank you! Let me show you what it's all about.
3: Simon Murdoch Midday to 4pm On Cork's 96FM
1: The lines are live And we're ready to talk Can we just talk Call 0818 96 96 96
3: Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96
1: Email opinion at 96fm.ie
3: The Opinion Line With PJ Coogan
1: On Cork's 96FM
6: yeah. Still a few comments coming in on the smoking outside of schools. We had an email earlier on from Mary who noticed that she's dropping off her children to school and there were people smoking, dropping off their children to a play school and there's this cloud of smoke drifting behind them and it's going into the children's faces, going into everybody else's faces and they're wondering should there be a no smoking zone outside of school? <laughs> Not going down well, I may tell you now, Mary not going down well at all I will come back to that I also asked um, about the Russian missile exercises at sea and they're miles and miles and miles and miles and miles away right? Um, and I was wondering does anybody actually care because it's a big thing on the news and a big thing in the newspapers and all of that but that doesn't necessarily mean that ordinary folk care. you work in news and current affairs long enough you'll realise that sometimes what's on the papers and on the television, most people don't actually care about it. That's why I asked the question Do we care? says this WhatsApp mess. Are you joking? Anything that creates noise in our oceans disrupts the audio environment and the sonic waves that marine life uses to communicate. There's absolutely no call for testing missiles at sea or anywhere, ever And Ed says, hopefully... They will tidy up after them and not leave ordnance kicking around in areas used by our fishing boats and commercial shipping. Second thing, why are they doing it? Well, I'd say it's probably just to show that they can, because the Americans and British use our ports and airports whenever they see fit. Since our government seems to think it's a good idea to play war games, we'll be involved in this next European war because the government actions were no longer a neutral country and of course a lot of people also worried about this in the context of what's happening or might be starting to happen in Ukraine and a lot of people are very genuinely worried about that situation in Ukraine just reading up about it over the weekend but yeah seems more people are interested in this Russian missile testing 0818 96 96 96 and I want to talk to Kate uh, Kate contacted us a little while back, wondering if we would raise the topic of assisted dying on the opinion line. We've spoken about it before, so we have no difficulty speaking about it again. Kate, good morning to you.
12: Hi, good morning, PJ.
6: Now, Kate, um, first of all, I'm sorry for your loss. Your mum passed away uh, in September 2020, but it's, it's, it's that that got you thinking, isn't it?
12: Yeah, that's right. And I mean, I just want to make it clear like I'm not here to criticize the hospital at all um I just had a meeting a week or so ago with the key staff in there that looked, looked after my mom um just to try and further understand everything she went through and they were completely transparent and open with me and they took a lot of time to explain everything to me which I really appreciate okay but the bottom line is that my mom just didn't have the death she wanted or deserved um she died of lung cancer um and you know as far as i'm concerned she didn't die with dignity and and she definitely wasn't pain free mm-hmm. um you know i before obviously this is the first time i've ever been through anything like this but i thought cancer patients were usually completely sedated and and practically comatose at the end but her last words to me were pain and how much longer And that's something I don't think I'll ever get over, to be honest. How long
6: Um, before she passed away was that case?
12: um, She, it was over the course of a weekend, like the, um, it was two days of kind of being sedated, but coming to, and, um, you know, at at times, um, you know, literally gasping for air, thrashing around in the bed, gasping for air, um, when the, when kind of extra, um, I can't remember what they called it. Breakthrough doses, I think, of of the morphine was needed. Mm. Um, but that's exactly what she didn't want. Um, she she you know she was terminal. We knew that that she was you know that she was um, she only had about six months. Um, but she went quite quickly in the end. But yeah. she used to literally say to me, "There's no way I'm dying, gasping for air in CUH." Um, she signed up. Um, she'd started the process of signing up to Dignitas in Switzerland. Yeah, Switzerland, yeah. Um, and was in the process of trying to sort that out, but the end came too quickly. In the end, you know, so she she wasn't able to.
6: And correct me if I'm um, wrong here, Kate, that while she had signed up for Dignitas, they do do they not very strictly? Uh, you must be physically able to travel there and physically able to take part in the process yourself. Y- yes. Yes.
12: Yeah. That's right, so her health um, would have
6: been too far gone, in other words,
12: it would have but at that point because it did come quite quickly she when she went into hospital to have a drain put in on her lung and but then she got an infection and pneumonia and and then she passed, and we weren't expecting that you know we we thought she was going into hospital to get the drain, she'd come out and she'd have at least another six months or so because she was still having treatment yeah. um but until I met the doctors. Um, again, week before last, um, I had been left feeling that they didn't sedate her enough. Um, but since meeting them, you know, I don't blame them for what happened. As far as I understand, they gave her as much as they could without being reckless and without breaking the law. Um, and that's my the question point, is, isn't it?
6: That's the point, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You you feel, and I, I'm I'm interpreting your feelings here now. So hopefully I'm right. You feel that they should have been. In a position where they could give her just as much as she needed, and if that yeah, took, exactly. if that took her gently over, then so be it. Yeah,
12: yeah. I mean, I'm obviously not a medical expert, but I presume different people have different tolerance levels, mm-hmm. you know. And I, she obviously did need more. Um, you know, it got to the stage. Like, I know this is an important thing to say, and I probably shouldn't say it on the radio, but I did get to the stage the night before where I, I considered doing it myself, I thought, will I put a pillow over her face? And that is an awful thing to say, but well, I think until you're in a room with, with someone you love dying, I don't think you can understand how horrific it is to see to see it, you know, and to see them go through it.
1: Yeah.
12: Um, And I have done, you know, since, since then, I've done some research on the differences between euthanasia, assisted suicide, and assisted dying. And I know that it's a really complicated topic Mm -hmm. um but I think I am in support of assisted dying for terminally ill patients you know I understand that a lot of people are worried that it would put vulnerable people at risk but with people like my mum you know she had absolutely no chance of recovery and was quite obviously suffering shouldn't shouldn't people like that be enabled to die peacefully and with dignity and you know I don't want to be like poor me but what about the family members too who are witnessing this you know the reality is that I was quite literally traumatized by it Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. you know my GP diagnosed me with PTSD afterwards I was off work for three months and it's only after a year of therapy that I'm that I was even able to go back into CUH to ask the questions I wanted to ask and that I'm Mm -hmm. able to even talk about it at length you know um and I suppose I feel like talking about it is the, is the only thing I can do now I can't do I can't change my mum's experience but I can try and do something proactive for people in the future who who might be subjected to something like this um, so I contacted um, a TD in Dublin um, last week as well um, Gino Kenny yeah. who seemed to be coming up a lot online he worked on the Dying with Dignity Bill I've
6: spoken to Gino yeah
12: yeah he i mean he was very you know it was very nice of him to phone me back i'm not you know i'm not in dublin um he phoned me back and explained the current situation and he he explained that it's it's not a referendum that's needed it's it's just a change in legislation um so i don't know how much i can now do as an individual but this affects so many people and even if it hasn't affected um, you know, ha- hasn't affected you yet. It may do someday. And I think it's important for people to write to their TD and ask where they stand on this and for as many people as possible to tell their stories so that so that we can get some sort of change in legislation.
6: Mm-hmm. How do you feel now? I mean, you say that you've had a good engagement, if I'm interpreting it correctly, you say you've had a good engagement with the hospital. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they've... You're, you, you, Are you reassured that they did as much as they could?
12: I think so. Um, you know, they, I, I did ask, you know, I said, why is it that every time she came to and was, you know, thrashing around in the bed and, and pulling the covers off and literally sitting up and trying to get out of the bed and, you know, they'd come, I'd run out into the hall and ask for help. They'd come, they'd check her, then they'd go back down the hall, get the medicine, come back. You know, this, to me, it might have only been a few minutes, but to me at the time it felt like that a lifetime. Sure I yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I asked that question, I said, why did we have to do, go through that every time? And they said that the drugs are so highly regulated they had to literally sign them out. Yeah. Um, but they had given her, she she was on like a constant um, dosage okay. of, of you know various things and when I said why, why couldn't you give more he said um the main doctor said any more would have been reckless and I presume that means it could have killed her that's,
9: but
8: that's
12: for me crazy. that would have been a blessing at the, at that point you know yeah yeah but they were very good you know I'm really not criticizing no. you and I mean for them a year later, over before. a year yeah over a year later for them to take up, you know, forty five minutes of their time to go and sit in a boardroom. There were seven of them in there. Every everyone who was responsible for my mum's care was in there, and they went into so much detail, um, and you know, took time away from patients who were in there at the moment to speak to me a year later. I thought that was, you know, it was very kind, and they were was, they they it were was, it was indeed good to me. You so, know,
6: so you would now like to see changes made that no other daughter has to watch her mum mm. like you did.
12: Yeah, exactly. And I do think that, that, I, you know, like I said, I know from the research I've done online, you know, I'm trying to find people who are in support of this. and But all I was finding was people who weren't, you know, like, for instance, the church, probably, you know, um, as soon as you mention something like this, people probably think, well, vulnerable people, you know, elderly people who... A risk, you know, might be um, manipulated or, you know, there's all different reasons why people aren't in support of things like this. But, I th- but there is a difference between um, assisted dying and euthanasia, you know, and, and assisted suicide, and as I far think, as I'm aware. I think,
6: Kate, I think that it is important to say that because if you do read into it, you'll realise there's an enormous difference between euthanasia mm. and assisted dying.
8: You know, yeah, I think I, you know.
6: It's just, for someone it's, like your mum, who was terminal and was dying, these were her last agonies, and yeah. all you wanted to do, and all you want the system to be able to do, is to ease her through those last agonies. Exactly.
12: Yeah. It's but it's it was barbaric. To be honest, I wouldn't. I've two dogs at home. You know, I would not put one of my dogs through half of what my mum went but,
6: through. But, there, but there's a thing, Kate. When our dogs get to a certain point, the vet will say, mm-hmm. it's the kindest thing.
9: Yeah.
12: And I know, you know, and again, it's a tricky topic because people will say, well, you can't liken, you know, humans to dogs. And it's like, well, why are we kinder to dogs than we are to humans? Yeah. You know? Um, when, when everything,
6: every box, if you, every, every single box is ticked, mum was not going to get better. Mum was in terrible terrible agony her mm. final agony yeah
12: it's end of life you know i'm not saying i don't know how i feel about um you know perhaps somebody who has a, an illness that isn't terminal and if they want to go and have an assisted suicide because they just don't want to live the way yeah. they're living you know i don't know how i how where i stand on that mm. but
9: See, what i'm talking there's, about there's is a couple of different
12: levels of life. to it
6: Isn't there a couple of different levels to it? You know, you have the person who says, "Right, I've got such and such a thing. I've got cancer. I've got motor neuron. I've got whatever," and and they want to say, "Well, you know, before before I'm in too much pain, before my body shuts down entirely, Mm -hmm. I want to choose my own way out." That's one element of it. The other element of it is that someone like your mom, they -hmm. should just be able to ease her over, as it were, gently.
12: Yeah. And, and the thing love. is, she, you know, I know full well she would have signed something when she was first diagnosed. If they'd given her something to sign to say, when it comes to it, if you've got no chance of recovery, do you want to be, um, you know, do you want us to do something? She would absolutely, 100% have signed that when she was able to, you know. Mm. Um, She'd even said, don't put me on if if it comes to it. And they're talking about ventilation. Don't put me on. Just let me go. Um. But she just didn't have that option. And it's just not fair. You know, it's it really isn't. Yeah. I just don't understand it. And, you know, I'm terrified now. God forbid, if I get cancer or if someone else I love gets cancer, what am I going to do? You know, I definitely don't want to end up in that situation. I'm like, should I start hoarding morphine somewhere so I can look after myself? You know what I mean? It's mm. just
8: desperate.
12: And
6: I know um, these, are, these are things that are people are going, oh, my God, what things to be saying. But this is... This is your thoughts, yeah. these are your feelings. I mean the thing about you said a while ago about the, the, the pillow. You know, I left you say that because that's how you felt and you know yeah. and the same with this like <laughs> I know myself and I'll put it on the table here, I would never want to be in that circumstance. And I would say
8: mm-hmm.
6: just bring it on. Yeah. Just do it. Because I, I that's that would they would be my wishes.
12: Uh, nobody would you know and but it, like i said earlier it's just i think it's very hard for people to understand or to even care if they haven't been through it you know what it's not on your mind all the time if you haven't been through it but this is some, i just cannot stop thinking about it and um you know the only all it needs is a change in legislation mm. and I i just think the only way you know, I do believe, you know, Gina Kenny was telling me they are working on resubmitting that dying with dignity bill. But if we can do anything to help push it through, if people can, you know, maybe there are a lot of other people who've had similar experiences that I just haven't spoken to. Anyone else I know who I'm sure there are. lost someone from cancer, the person was, you know, practically comatose at the end and they, they didn't go through this, thankfully. But there must be other people out there. I'm sure my mum can't be the only one. Yeah. Um, and if they could write to their TD and and ask where do they stand on it and tell their story, maybe it'll help in some way. I'm, I don't
6: know. Well, I'm 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 very glad that you you came to us for an opportunity to speak about it. I know one of the things you've probably agonised over, if I'm right here, Kate, you probably agonised over whether you did enough for your mum. Mm.
12: Yeah, definitely. I mean you know it, when you look back on something you th- I wish I'd done this you know like I wish I'd screamed and shouted on you know the day before and 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 asked could we be moved to Marymount because perhaps we would have had a different experience there I don't know um but it's all it, if you know it's it's if I'd done this if I'd done that I've got no way of knowing if it would have been different um and I was you know, they even had notes when they went through the, the meeting with me the other week, they did have it in the notes that I was quite distraught at one point. It got really bad, you know. I was literally hysterical. Um, I wasn't equipped to deal with, with it. Um, and, uh, you know, the thought that that's, that's my mum... What's the last thing my mum heard was me screaming at the nurses. Do you know? That's horrific. Um, and that's another thing I have to kind of try and get past, but I suppose like I said, the, it's only after a year of, of therapy that mm-hmm. that I'm able to you know, I am starting to get past it a little bit. Um and you, you're but, but only by peace doing with
6: yourself, are
12: you? Yeah, but I think only by doing things like this, like going speaking to the hospital, you know, trying to raise awareness, doing something proactive, like I can't change what happened to my mum. I can I can maybe make it feel like I've got a little bit of justice for her. Um
2: she was the sort of person she was. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
13: If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
12: would have spoke up afterwards. You know, she would mm-hmm. have um, asked a million questions and um, done as much as she could afterwards. That's all I can do for her, but then I can maybe it will help people in the future too um just to make it feel like she died for some that died that way for for something you know what was her name Claire
6: Claire tell me a little bit about her before i let you go let us know who she was what was she like <laughs>
12: um well, she was very funny you know she was a very witty kind of funny woman um she had a very dark sense of humor um You know, it was only six months from the time she was diagnosed to when she passed away. But, um, and obviously it was during the pandemic. So I was the only person that was able to see her, you know, my kids, I couldn't bring my kids in to see her at home or anything like that. And she just had a very dark sense of humor. Like we would joke about what was happening a lot. Um, And, you know, she was great fun, great, great crack.
6: All right, well, listen, you're, 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 you're speaking up for her rights uh, now, uh, and that's the best you could do for her.
12: Thanks, PJ. Thanks for having me on.
6: Delighted to do so. Kate, okay, thank you. 0818 96 96, and once again, condolences on the loss of your mum, Claire, in September 2020. We've had this discussion before many, many times. The doctors, and she's quite happy now, She's had a meeting with the hospital and they did everything they were allowed to do within the rules. And yet her mom still died in, in agony. I don't know. How do you feel? 0818 96 96 96. Debbie says, I think as someone who also saw their mom wither away in pain, it's not just looking for peace for them, it's also wondering if I myself would one day have access to a peaceful death. That's from Debbie Downer. 0818 96.
8: 96, 96. Can we just talk?
6: The opinion line on
3: Corks ninety six FM with
1: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. Cmig.ie. Corks ninety
6: six FM. Do you know that new smartphone or tablet that you got for Christmas? There's an app you need to put on it. Our app. If you download the Corks 96 FM app for either of the app stores, uh, you can listen to your favourite shows, you can listen back to the podcasts, to our daily podcast and all the podcast extras that we do. They're all there on the app. And if you've a smart speaker, it doesn't matter which one it is, just ask it to play Corks 96 FM. I'm Bob's your uncle. Whole digital world out there and we're in it. So download the app and if you've got a smart speaker and Alexa for Christmas, uh, tell us to play Corks 96 FM. A friend of the show throughout the pandemic, has been Dr Nile Conroy. Uh, we were pointed in his direction early on in the pandemic. We were told to check out this young Irish doctor uh, in Queensland in Australia who is heading up a public health unit and doing great work. And how Queensland had one of the most successful regimes in the world for tackling COVID-19. So fleet. we did. We contacted Nell Conroy and it's led to a couple of fascinating chats with him over the last two years. And he is now on his way back to Ireland. He has uh, finished his job as Director of Public Health in Wide Bay, uh, Wide Bay in Queensland. He was a consultant there. And he's moving back to Ireland with his wife and their new baby, Bo, uh, at the end of February. But he's also now been appointed an adjunct professor of public health at UCC, which can only be a tribute to the remarkable work he's been doing in Queensland over the past couple of years. And over the weekend, I got a chance to catch up with Dr. Niall Conway. Niall, good to catch up with you again. It's been a while. And congratulations on the appointment, uh, Adjunct Professor at UCC. What does it mean for a start?
5: Yeah, thanks, PJ. It's always a, always a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, look, these, these adjunct appointments are probably something that people don't necessarily know about, but they're, um, they are use the universities all over the world. And I suppose what they do is they allow universities to collaborate with um, people who have a lot to offer, to the students and the university community but don't necessarily want an academic career or have an academic career, you know, and I suppose in this case um, the the School of Public Health in UCC, um, they they gave me this sort of adjunct professorship um, and what that really means, I suppose, is that I, you know, I, I work in a public health unit so I have all this sort of expertise and outbreak management and the whole lot and they have all these really great courses and uh, you know so what I'll do is um, as I have done in the past I'll do some teaching on those courses mm. because you know it's it's great it, it, it's great for for me to be able to teach just teach the students and um, you know it's always brilliant to be surrounded by students. And the students in UCC are just fantastic. I've taught them quite a few times now. And um, they, I suppose, would we'll see it as they get the, the benefit of the, that kind of cold face experience managing outbreaks. Not not only COVID, you know, I suppose we, we, we've got to hopefully this will be a long standing relationship. And while COVID is, is in the headlines now, people like me would w- hopefully get to uh, teach their, their public health students about all sorts of outbreaks and the sort of how they're managed in the real world so um yeah so really delighted because UCC have just a fantastic school of public health so it was a real honor for me and um you know great to be part of
6: great to be brought into the fold we've had their head of department professor perry on the show a couple of times he's globally respected
5: yeah, and, you, you know, he's been in all the big journals, your, your Lancets and the Journal of the American Medical Association doing just phenomenal work on preventative, uh, preventative health around heart disease and diabetes. And, you know, and uh, and the same goes for a whole lot of people in the School of Public Health in Cork, actually. They they, they punch well above their weight. They, they do all sorts of work around tobacco and alcohol and sort of sugar taxes and all these really, really important mm. things that things that, that affect people's lives in a very real way. And I, I think that's one of the, the great things about the, the school. And one of the, one of the things I certainly like about teaching there and being, being a little bit involved in some of the research they've done is that it has a real reputation as being a department that very much lives in the real world, mm. you know, and, and is doing stuff that, that makes a, a tangible difference to people's lives. And, um, yeah, Ivan very much fits that mole since he started the department, I think with just him and an admin assistant Mm. back in the back in the 90s. I think it's probably the biggest school of public health in the country now. So yeah, really phenomenal colleagues uh, across the board.
6: When we were talking to you first uh, in the early days of this pandemic, we were Pointed in your direction but by Jerry Killeen, who's another regular on on our program but you were in the thick right. of it out there you were in the absolute thick of it out there um, and and you're getting a break now because you you've actually finished the job
5: yeah but basically we're, we're moving back to um, moving back to Ireland hopefully um, around the end of February and um, it's been like I, I arrived into the job as the director of public health in a unit where there's one consultant doctor, which was me, literally, I think it was two or three days before the pandemic. And um, it, from then on, it was two years of literally being on call. I mean, I'm not kidding. I was on call 24-7 um, for for an entire two years. And it was just phenomenally busy. And um, so it's lovely now to have, I've, I've sort of finished up the job, but I'm I'm technically I'm I've used up all the annual leave that I've built up, so um, it's been a it's been a really really hectic two years, and it's lovely to have some time now with my son. It's lovely to um, be getting back home where I'll I'll be um, hopefully getting stuck into the um, to the COVID response in ireland and you know as i always say dealing with all the other infectious diseases that that we deal with but um i suppose i have to get out of the country we we applied for the little guy's passport back in september mm. and uh, still waiting so uh, it's stressful being that uh flights are at the end of february but look that's just the way things are in the covid world isn't it
6: yeah yeah and we we talked on the program about passports <clears throat> before christmas and they're extremely slow but september you applied
5: yeah, and I, I, I thought for once I was uh, i was ahead of the game, you know, but um, clearly, clearly I wasn't early enough, um, and they they'd sort of said that it would be ready by mid-January, but that's come and gone, and you know yourself, the way it is, it's just very hard to get through to talk to a human in the, the passport office and just haven't been able to do that, but look, all things going to plan. I, I'm hoping to be back in Ireland early March and, um, you know, been chatting away to um, some of the, the public health units about um, getting stuck in and doing some work with them, which so I'm really, really looking forward to. It. It's it been great to uh, to do all this work in Australia, but there's just something that appeals to me about going back home and getting stuck into what's what's left of the COVID response, and, yeah, you know.
6: Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you'll know, now, I have no doubt, um, we've had huge changes this weekend. Uh, pretty much every restriction gone now bar a few like masks and things like that in the shop and in the bus and stuff and the worry some people think god are we moving too fast i mean you're keeping your finger on the pulse are we moving a bit too fast or do we just have to proceed with with caution here
5: yeah well you know pj that's that's um, no longer a question where i think i have any more insight than anyone else like i put it to you this way when when at the start of the beginning uh, the, sorry, at the start of the pandemic, I was very much in the advocacy space, you know, encouraging the sort of the zero COVID piece, the border controls, because I, I thought there was a very definite right way to do it and a and a wrong way to do it. And I, I thought to the border controls and just trying to keep this virus, out was the only way you could you, you could manage it. And I think mm-hmm. that was correct. And Ireland had about 5000 deaths, at, you know, in, in, before the, the vaccines were rolled out. And so I think that was correct. We're in, a, we're in a phase of the pandemic now where it's much more gray and there's much less in the way of right and wrong. What we have now is we have Omicron, which is much milder for almost everybody yeah. and is very unlikely to put most people in harm's way. And on top of that, in Ireland, in particular, you've got a very, very well-protected population with vaccines and boosters. Having said that, there will be a small portion of the population who, who remain at risk. And I suppose what the kind of questions you're looking at now is, what, at what level of risk are, do we, are we justified in having population-level restrictions? You know, Mm. like restrictions to pubs and restaurants and that kind of thing, because you're in a you're in a space where restrictions do work. There's no question about that. But what we're now seeing every every public health doctor, any public health unit around the world, GPs, pediatricians, the whole lot are seeing the the effects of restrictions, in terms of mental health and just sort of, the, the you know, delayed diagnoses of other diseases. So, mm. so restrictions, as we all know, are not benign. And what I think it comes down to now is risk perception and risk tolerance. So my own personal view right now um, is that we we should lift restrictions. I, I would perhaps, you know, suck it and see a little bit, you know, every two weeks, Reduce them a bit more, but I I, I think broadly speaking, um, you know, removing restrictions is going in the right direction. I Mm -hmm. think it's the right thing to do broadly speaking. But someone else who has an immunocompromised family member, or or is immunocompromised themselves, or is a risk, may well think that we're we're moving too fast, and you know that they're being left behind. So I, 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 you know, without meaning to. (laughs) sit in the fence. I I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think Mm. we're in a stage now where everyone's risk tolerance is different. Some people are just desperate to get back out, and that's their priority. Other people are desperate to avoid COVID, and that's their priority. And so I, I, I think, you know, this is now where public health will say to you, well, it's milder, we're protected, but there is this cohort who are at risk. If you want to completely protect everyone, you probably have to um, reinstate some pretty restrictive population level restrictions to control Omicron. Mm. Otherwise, you're going to be out of control. And I think that's what public health can tell you. But other than that, then it's up to society and the politicians to decide where where's our sweet spot as a population. Mm. And, and you know, it, it's it's funny you hear different things back home. Like I, I've been in touch with lots of people, and some people are saying, Nihilus this is fantastic." I, you go out and have a pint, and other people are saying, "No, I'm just staying in." You know, it's it's too soon for me, and and all those views are equally equally as valid, aren't they?
6: Yeah, yeah, and people will make their own choices, I guess, and and, and their own decisions. So you're due to travel on the 25th of of February, I think, is it? Yeah, fingers crossed. That's, yeah, the, yeah. that's the plan. And, and, um, and you may or may not know, Niall, that uh, we here at 96M we are constituents of the Minister for Foreign Affairs, so. Right. Um, if if Simon or his people are are listening, the little boy's name is Bo, isn't that right?
5: Bo Conroy, yeah.
6: <laughs> tell people you told me before on my podcast, but tell people about the name Bo. Why 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 you called your little boy Bo? It's a lovely story.
5: Yeah, I just I love the name Bo, and um, because I I've spent a, a big chunk of my career doing um, newborn health. You know, but working as a, a neonatal doctor in Sierra Leone, a country I just am absolutely in love with. And I work in this small, well, actually small, it's the third biggest district in Sierra Leone, but it's a small way international standards. You know, and the district is called Bo District. And I was very fortunate to be asked back a couple of years ago to establish the first ever neonatal um, special care baby unit in mm. Bo. Which is now up and running seeing about a hundred kids a month which where there was literally no neonatal service before that and um while I was there my wife came out to visit me and we got engaged there so I've spent so much time in Bo I, I was lucky enough to, to to establish the neonatal unit there and I got engaged there so we thought that Bo was the the perfect name for our first child and um,
6: it's it, that's a lovely story yeah, we love it. Yeah, that's a lovely story. Well, if anyone's looking across the, the desk in the, in the Minister of Foreign Affairs office and you spot an application for Bo Conroy, aged what? Is he one now? now? One, yeah. Yeah, he just turned one
5: um, on the 1st of January. So, um, it, it, time flies,
6: doesn't it? <laughs> I was only talking to you, I think, a few weeks after he yeah. had been born and you were exhausted. That on top yeah. of on top of the pandemic.
5: Yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, it's all kind of flashbacks, PJ. Yeah, so now, now I'm just looking after a newborn. Bar- <laughs> well, not a newborn, a one-year-old. So, um, yeah, we're looking for having great fun, but would love to see a passport before February the 25th.
6: Nile, it's been great to have you on the programme so many times over the last couple of years, and it was a good day's work that Jerry Killeen said to us, you should reach out to this guy. It's always been a pleasure. Congratulations on the appointment, and when you get back, welcome home.
5: Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to be here.
6: Dr. Niall Conroy, and before anybody rings up and accuses me of lobbying, we're having a laugh, okay? And yes, I know we're in a different constituency, but it was Sunday morning. I was recording him yesterday morning to do with the time difference. So, leave me alone. <laughs> nice guy, though. Nice guy. And he, great to see him coming home and using the expertise that he has in this country. 0818 96, 96, 96. Just on End of Life, uh, Vicky Phelan is an advocate for the Die With Dignity campaign. Might be worth Kate linking in with her and her supporters. And Efa says on Twitter, Vittoria Bofaci, uh, who's the author and Labour Party policy unit and chairperson of Cork North Central, he's also a prof at UCC, has made the case for assisted dying. Also, care champions are advocating for safeguarding so elderly people are not abused. I would certainly like to know how you feel about it. If you found yourself with a terminal illness tomorrow and your days on this world are numbered what would you like to do some breaking st- okay I'm not going with that just yet okay 0818 96, 96, 96.
8: can we just talk
3: opinion line on
6: Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy
1: Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. Cmig.ie.
3: Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your
5: guide
3: to
1: nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's
5: Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. The inimitable Macy Gray comes to Cork this summer with a very special show at Cypress Avenue on June 14th. A must-see live experience? You can get your tickets now at Cypress Avenue.ie. Access all areas. Northern duo Saint Sister
4: won Best Album for Where Should I End? at 2021's Northern Ireland Music Prize. They'll finally get the chance to come to Cork for their side album launch taking place at St. Luke's on Saturday,
5: March 5th.
3: Access All Areas.
5: Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us here at AAA at 96FM.ie. Access All Areas.
1: Your Guy tonight on side on ninety six FM.
6: If you ever looked at uh, beautiful stained glass windows and wonders who makes them, like who designs them, how are they done? Like there's a beautiful window at uh, St. Mary's-on-the-Hill Church in Nockneheny. And there would be stuff down in Cloyne. the beautiful church down in Cloyne has wonderful stained door, um, glass panels and the entrance of the Kinsale College of Further Education. They've also got panels. And one thing they've got in common is the same person did them all. Uh, Joy McAllen, good morning to you, Joy. Hi, PJ. How are you? Good. Be- beautiful work. Stained glass is incredibly popular um, at at the moment, and it, a lot of people are getting it done in their houses too.
0: Yeah, I've I've seen that as well. It's like big resurgence, and it's really it's it's kind of moving out of the churches into the homes, like um, kind of um, you know with interior decker and stuff. And people seem to have more disposable income at the moment. I don't know, it just it improves the house. Like um,
6: I think you've been asked to do. There's a couple you've been asked to do as well yourself. So
0: yeah, yeah. I've one lovely one down in um, in Clarny, um, there was a, a large window um, for a, a woman's bathroom and it just transformed the whole room you know it was beautiful like yeah, kind of yeah. you don't have to have it so ecclesiastical like a modern design yeah.
6: how, how did you get into it first Joy?
0: Um, I studied fine art in the Crawford um, many moons ago and I was down in, um, in Dingle I walked into the d centre there in Dingle and um, walked up the stairs I don't know if you know it's all Harry Clark work up there and I was just blown away really I, yeah. I just completely blown away and I said right I have to I have to get into that. It's
6: just mm. It looks like incredibly painstaking work. It's it's um
0: it's 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 time consuming, but yeah. um the the technique is is grand. Like it's it's kind of um just cutting the lead or cutting the glass and soldering it up. It's it's a straightforward enough process, um, and yeah. but it's just a time consuming effort, and and then painting on the glass as well actually brings it to, to a new dimension as well, as well. You know, you paint on yeah. the glass and fire it and let it together,
6: so. So you start. I take it you start with plain glass and then you put the colors on it. Is that how it is?
0: Um, you can start with colored glass as well. And um, but then you, when you're if you're painting on it, then you have to fire the. You paint on each individual piece and then fires. That's the tracing black and right um, silver sort of stain and all that. But like you can you can cost the colored glass and just let up colored glass as well. It comes in variety of different um, right right.
6: And it's held together then with, with it's, it's kind of a, a lead shape, is it? It's, it's for all the world like a jigsaw, is
0: it? It is like a big jigsaw. You, you make a template and then um, you drop the cartoon and then you cut the individual glass pieces to that size and then it's all leaded together and soldered right. with the lead then and then um, cemented up and put it up. And. So it's a process. It's, um, it's a process of assembling the It Take
6: a long time to do it with a decent sized window in a house, say if someone asked you to do a window, it would take a while.
0: I suppose it depends on the intricacy of it and if it's been painted or if it's just coloured glass leaded up, but um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's all doable, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very enjoyable. It's an it's, ancient, you kind of get lost doing it's it. It's
6: an yeah. ancient art. I mean, you, you look at churches dating back to the 15th and 16th century, it's an ancient art.
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. and I salute the old technique as well, like using tallow candles and um, you know cutting the lead and it's it's um it's all the old technique, yeah. the real old technique of doing this, really. Yeah.
6: How, how do you why, why do you think people got so interested in bringing it into their homes?
0: Um, I suppose it's it just it transforms the atmosphere of a home, really. I think like if you're the way it kind of diffuses the light and the colour and mm. and it is a lot, a lot more accessible now as well. I think um it's not so mystified and then it and double glazing as well. You see, so you can have large panels that are double glazed or even have done triple glazed in somebody's front door and you can yeah. get away with having a large sheet then with no transoms or anything and yeah. and it's tough and durable so do you know yeah. what I mean It's it kind of changes the atmosphere of a home I think
6: Yeah like well I'll, we had an old front door and there was a little piece of stained glass in the top of it right, mm. and the house number was and when the sun would come in from a particular direction it used to throw incredible colours across the hall
0: Exactly yeah it
6: was It's lovely yeah so you're doing workshops now as well, I think, are you?
0: Yes, um, down in in Kinsale um, Pottery and Arts Centre down there. It's a lovely, beautiful area for doing. The workshop space is great. So um, there's one there's one coming up for this April and May, September, November, and actually I think there might be a few availability as well in May and September ones.
6: Brilliant, but brilliant. A
0: weekend workshop, and it's it's great for somebody to throw their hand at starting it, or anyone really who's started it before to kind of. Develop it a bit further so oh. it's going through the basics
6: Fabulous. cutting the glass and, and your website your website is where they can find out more details I take it is it?
0: well it's a big, the, my website is for my work that's joynacallan.ie but then if you want to find out about the workshop there, that's ceramics.com is where you book the workshops there
6: great okay Joy listen uh, congratulations on the wonderful work and long may it continue uh, kinsaleceramics.ie uh, to find out how you might do some stained glass or learn about stained glass, it's just a beautiful ancient art, but it's been kept alive by people like Joy.
8: Can we just talk? The
6: Opinion Line on Corks 96 FM with
1: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. See mig.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96, 96, 96. Text or WhatsApp
3: 083 396 96 96.
1: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
3: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
1: on Cork's 96FM.
6: Uh, closest someone's come, was it the yellow tape or the stickers around the shop was missing? No, it wasn't. I'll tell you what it was. I was going into um, Tesco there on the Douglas Road just there by St. Finbar. So I pop in there for a bottle of water drop milk kind of thing. And, um, what was not there was, you know, these big green and red signs that we've been getting used to, and it's green, you walk in, and when it's red, you wait until someone comes out. That had been switched off and plugged out this morning, and I thought, well, it's never bothered me at that hour of the morning. There's never anybody in the shop, but it was just a big change. I was used to seeing the green and red sign. I has gone. Uh, I don't know about the stickers on the floor, but I, I did spot the the... Did you see no social distance signs, right Now that I think of it, I think some of them have been taken out. Definitely some of the stickers were gone. It would be murder to get them stickers off the floor. But I'm sure people will try. 0818 96, 96, 96. Just before we finish today, we'll be talking about making cork more child friendly. A lot of people say, look, you only realise how unchild friendly cork is. Until you actually try to bring a child around, um, we were talking last week, wasn't it, with John about when his youngun was caught short for the loo and know nowhere to go. Uh, there's other problems besides. Um, we, what do you think is needed to make Cork City more child-friendly? What kind of things are needed for the make make the place more friendly for the smallies? Uh, do you wonder does anybody sit down and think about smallies when they're designing public realms and stuff like that your thoughts welcome at 083 396 96 96 still a bunch of stuff as well on the smoking I'll get to them but you know what (laughs) smokers smokers really take it badly when you start having a poke at them which I didn't I didn't it was an email from Mary which myself and Fiona were chatting about this morning but some of them got right up on their hind legs. Seriously, like <laughs> I'll come to it in a while. 0818 96, 96, 96 I haven't seen this yet. But I'm going to talk to someone who has.
2: I've just got so much going on. I've been living out of a suitcase for the past two months. I don't know how you juggle both this and life. I
12: don't know
1: what
3: to do. I just want to stop.
1: We'll get through it. Can somebody help me? It's a fun job.
3: You got to concentrate.
13: What do you mean it's not much of an issue? Chuck's on respect. Oh, yeah. oh. Carly, no. What are
8: you doing? Carolee. I can't
13: take it anymore. There's a million kids out there
6: who would die for this opportunity. That's a trailer from a movie called Boiling Point, which is streaming, I think, on Amazon and due to go into cinemas. Stars Stephen Graham. The unusual thing about it is it is filmed in one go it's it's what they call a one-shot movie and that's attracting a lot of attention it's set in a very very busy restaurant kitchen it's along the lines of I suppose Ramsay's kitchen nightmares or or what's the health kitchen kind of thing but it's set in a top restaurant in London uh, on the last Friday before Christmas the busiest nights of the year and Andy Jones who's the head chef at this restaurant has all sorts of things going on in his mind and still trying to run, run a shift. Now, Finn, you were a chef for twenty years. Uh, you, you packed it in during the pandemic. But but you watched this. What do you think? Good morning. I used. To,
13: good morning, PJ. I used to like you and Fargil until you wrote me into watching this, and um, it was an hour and a half wasted. Really. Really. Mm-hmm. Um, Because if that if that was the busiest Friday before Christmas, the restaurant was closed the following week because it was it was it wasn't anything compared to. Now, there was a few funny bits in it and there was a lot of superficial stuff in it, but there was a lot of aspects of it that doesn't relate to a kitchen at all. Um, And I sat with a friend of mine watching it and he 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 hasn't been in the chefing industry and he even copped on stuff like the opening scene, the environmental health walk in, and the guy sits with him afterwards and goes through everything. Whereas in real life, you get a letter a couple of weeks later to tell you what's wrong and what's not wrong, and you know it was it it, it was. It. I wouldn't go to the cinema to see it you know mm, and yeah. for for a guy that was like obviously there, there was a lot of little bits and pieces that were were brought into it like there was there was a certain racial racist aspect to it as well with um with um a waitress and there was a guy being being rightly rude there was a lot of stuff that does happen in the kitchen but there was an awful lot of stuff that doesn't um and it was you know it, it was watchable There was there was a few well-known faces and a guy out of eastenders was in it um he was quite funny and the head chef was kind of losing his way in life, but he was trying to manage the kitchen and he was like, "Yeah, he had, you know, he, he had a strong team behind him. But a lot of the, the stuff that happened in there used to happen 20, 30 years ago, but it certainly doesn't happen
6: now. Yeah, I, I like Stephen Graham as an actor. So when I saw his name... Very good, there, so very I good. He plays you know, a good part. You know, He's very good. He plays a very
13: good part yeah. in it. Yeah,
6: yeah. Now, this one take thing, I guess that's meant to make it look even more dramatic. But you're saying, are they stretching, are they stretching the imagination here? Is this a kitchen from twenty years ago?
13: Um, it wouldn't be a kitchen that would be running now. It was an open kitchen, and it was a very dark, dingy place. But the storyline was dark and dingy. Like you had a kitchen porter who was sneaking out the back for a uh, for a cigarette, and he was um he was having a joint and he was going off to score drugs from somebody in a laneway. You had a pregnant kitchen porter, which wouldn't happen now. Um, and you had a lot of, a lot of the yes chef thing was too much. It was like, you, you know, nowadays, we, 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 if that kitchen was running now, you'd at the HR office, there'd be a queue outside the door from yeah. some of the stuff that was said. But it did happen. Uh, 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 in fact, uh, like when I was training, it did happen. You you get fellas shouting and screaming at you, but you can't do that anymore because it, it's it's an employer employee's market now. Yeah. But the, 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 the funniest things I found about it was like... Um, the the, the the people that don't know much about kitchen, like for a top restaurant in London they didn't have a tea, tea towel between them and they were sticking their apron into the oven to put out hot trays and he, he burnt his hand and he swore and the manager came over to him and said what are you swearing at? And he goes, I just burnt my effing hand what you think I'm swearing at? And he had given out to this girl for washing her hand in the food sink but he ran his hand underneath the tap and I was like, what? And when he was walking around the kitchen he had a glass um, a double espresso in a glass cup and I said it to my buddy, I was like He's going to get pulled on the glass and negative environmental like, go oh, away you glass in the kitchen and he went, I was having a coffee do you know these things it was it was, you know it reminded me of a bad version of Love, Hate meeting Ready, Steady, Cook as opposed to Gordon Ramsay's kitchen. Because if you go back to the original boiling point with Ramsay at his, at his prime when he came out like that, that's a magnificent watch. Yeah, and there will be chefs and chef owners like I'm sure Paul Tréville was watching it with interest. But like, it's not even comparison. Any like, you don't go out and sit at a table with with um,
6: a reviewer and have a glass of wine. Yeah, yeah, and then find out you what 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 know this kind of thing. You know all that stuff that yes, chef stuff and and this kowtowing <clears throat> to to someone. Like I mean, and when my my son is a huge Hell's Kitchen fan himself, and the missus watch it night after night. They love it all the old. But <gasps> does that ever actually happen for, in your experience with twenty years? Does that yes. kind of carry on yes. happen?
13: Absolutely, yeah. Um, it, it does happen. And you get some people who, who kind of enjoy that 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 mantle and then you get other people and if you say, yes, chef, they're like, that's not my name, you know, cop yourself on. But it does happen, yeah. And like Gordon Ramsay ha- has come out and says that when he's in his kitchen, he doesn't like being called chef, but if, if somebody's going to give him a hundred grand an episode, he's going to milk it and <laughs> yeah. make them feel bad and, and like anybody else would do, you know.
6: Yeah. I remember someone who did train under Ramsay actually saying, writing afterwards, he said, if you can resist the urge to kill the man, he'll make you a great chef.
13: I knew, I knew a guy that worked with him and, um, he put too much salt in a pigeon tureen. And Ramsey was, was just after starting off in London at the time. And when the guy came in to work on the, the Monday, he was all delighted about this pigeon terrine. and Ramsey made him sit there and eat the whole lot of it. Um, and then said to him, right, that's not how, how I made it. But then again, like you said, there are people who have worked under Gordon Ramsey and like Angela Hartnett, she's probably one of the best chefs in the world. And um, she worked on to him from the day she left college, and now she can. She she has three or four restaurants, you know. And like the thing about it is that Jamie Oliver came along, cheapy, ch- chicky, chappy. He put the fun side into it. And the producers at, at Channel 4 came in at the right time and said, Right, let's get Ramsey involved here because he's actually a really, really nice guy. Yeah, so I and believe
6: I've never met like, him, but so I believe
13: they, yeah. if, if, if they put you on at nine o'clock at night and said, PJ, right, here's here's a blank checkbook, you swear who you like, you'd be very good at it too, I would think.
6: <laughs> so Come come back to the movie at hand here, Boiling Point, which would you say, <clears throat> as, a, as a chef yourself for 20 years, which is the more realistic watch, Boiling Point or Ramsay?
13: Um, I would have to go with Ramsay because, like I said, this kitchen that they had in Boiling Point last night, no, it's, it's a good concept. It wasn't, like I said, for a Friday night, they had six chefs in the kitchen and... Uh, they, they were just, it was just, it was quiet. I'd love to, you could, like, some chefs could do do it on their own and it was, they tried to be more pretentious and there, there was a lot of attitude with, with minimal ability, but again, they were all actors so you, you, can't, you can't fault that, but some of the stuff that you'd see as a chef, you'd be cringing at, like this guy wiping his, his arm on his beard and then carrying on to, to prep oysters and this kind of stuff and the general Hygiene, do you know what it reminded me of? And you'd remember this because you're, you know, you're of the one era as me. It was like when you went to the up grill long ago, and the three boys were in behind the counter and they had an ashtray. That's all it was short. <laughs> you know, they used to have a, have a full fry. And, and having we, a smoke. When every... we
6: fell on the fry light, was manna from heaven, Finn. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely
13: absolutely but that's a reminder Jesus, some gonna and, and the guy then it did this stereotypified chefs because the head chef was walking around with a plastic bottle and it was full of drink he was topping it up with vodka that does not happen these days like all right, you yeah. know so it was it was kind of stereotypifying a chef being you know out of control drinking all the time taking drugs all him that. that was that was that was 20 years ago when yeah. when when Anthony Borden made that popular with kitchen confidential
6: you know yeah. so what you're saying here is a, an enjoyable watch a great Great part played by Stephen Graham, but not realistic at all.
13: PJ, I wouldn't be queuing up to go to the cinema. And as I said to Fergal last night, it's an hour and a half of my life that you owe me.
6: <laughs> all right, Finn. Thanks very much, Finn Lynch. Former chef, impacted uh, during the pandemic on the new movie, Boiling Point. Hey, watch it for all. Uh, it's, it's on Amazon. Uh, and I think it's going to the cinemas. I wonder why they do that now. They put them on Amazon and in the cinema at the same time. I guess pandemic and all that kind of carry on. I think I'll still watch it because I like Stephen Graham. But thanks for the review, Finn. 0818 96 96. Right on smoking. For God's sake, why do smokers always think someone is attacking them? Smoke whenever, wherever, and how many you want. But have some common sense. And if you don't care about poisoning your children and giving bad example to your own children, that's fine. But when other children are present, have a bit of respect. Some, someone will say kids see plenty stuff. And that's true. But it doesn't mean we can't stop somewhere. And I think they should definitely rule out smoking in areas around schools. There should be no smoking areas around schools. That's a WhatsApp message. Dee said some of us did give up the fags. And we do mind our own business. And we make changes to better our lives. Passive smoking is a thing, though. Why should small kids be going into school with the smell of smoke on their clothes? Caller says, I don't know why people are even debating this. It's never going to get anywhere. Everyone has at least one drunken, problematic person in their life. Most people don't have a smoker at home who causes them problems because of their smoking. And PJ, on the smoking thing, the I'm a non-smoker, but I think... That's irrelevant in this argument. I know a few smokers, none of them would smoke in front of their children. It's not whether a person smokes or not, it's whether they're showing good example to kids across the board. That's down to the kind of person you are. Thank you, says Linda. There you are. 0818969696 it, It's still going, it's still going.
8: Can we just talk?
3: The Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with
1: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Let's get down, let's get
5: down
3: business. We're
1: back to the music.
3: The Corks 96 FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now.
1: 96FM.ie now.
3: Just like this.
1: Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100-euro Just Eat voucher. The
3: power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business.
1: Join the Quark's 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.
6: Or see 96FM.ie. When we're talking about ourselves and, and what we're trying to do with our lives and trying to plan for the year and, you know, do we use too much negative language? And do we use it without even thinking about using it? And if you use negative language, can the best intentions in the world fall flat? I wonder. Rachel Francis is an embodiment coach who specializes in self-worth through embodiment. Rachel, you need to explain that to me for a start. Self-worth through embodiment. What is that? Good morning.
14: Morning, PJ, how are you? Thank you so much for having me on. So PJ, I guess for me, the biggest um, transformation I've had in my own life is realizing that energetic alignment is actually a bigger transformation than just simply working on your mindset. So that is really about focusing on your self-worth a focusing on your self-concept through understanding what you're embodying for yourself. And that is who you are being day to day. Who do you want to be? How do you want to feel? And how do you want to create your life through that?
6: You used a term there I've not heard before. Self-concept. What's that? Uh
14: Uh-huh. Basically, your self-concept is who you believe yourself to be. So what do you believe about yourself? And it's very uh, linked into what we're going to be talking about today. It's all about, you know, negative self-talk and negative language in general. Because really everything that we do in life and everything that we can achieve is based off of whether we believe we can achieve it. So do we have the self-concept to match what we're trying to do? Do we believe that we are the person that can do it? Um, and, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of the things that people feel like they have issues with these days, like, um, you know, anxiety and uh, low confidence and all this kind of thing. It is coming back to what your self-concept is for yourself, who you believe you are.
6: We're coming up, of course, now to the end of January and so many people will have tried something new for the year, be it walking or watching the diet or going easy on the drink or just, you know, just New Year, New You kind of crack. And for most of us, it lasts about a week and a bit and we beat ourselves up about it. You reckon we shouldn't beat ourselves up about it at all because that just doesn't help.
14: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we all fall into this trap. It's kind of the the end of January trap <laughs> that happens. And we almost anticipate it to happen before we begin. And that's part of the problem as well, you see, because it's about reframing your goal and how you perceive your goal to be for you. So are you just creating a resolution for yourself for the sake of it? Or are you creating a new way of life? You know, explain so, the difference. Um, so really a resolution, well, I suppose the difference is what we associate it to be and what we associate it to mean for us. If you, you know if you think about it like what do you even associate with you know New year's New Year's resolutions, you think, oh yes, I'll do this thing for three weeks and I'll feel super inspired by it and then I'll probably forget about it after that. It never works. Every year is the same, it never works. But really, if you can reframe that for yourself and instead of even calling it, Uh, resolution, a New Year's resolution, could you instead call it a way of life, a lifestyle? Because at the end of the day, that's really what you're trying to do, is you're trying to create a new way of life. And you're right, PJ, I think what you're saying there about being very tough on ourselves, you know, Mm. that's really the opposite of the way we want to go with it. And you can be self-reflective without being self-critical. There's a difference there. And it's realizing, you know, not being hard on yourself because... It's not the truth of who you are. It's just the habit that you have,
8: mm.
14: you know, of of doing a certain thing or not being able to commit to something because, you know, you're running off of your your mind is your is your programming, and you're trying to kind of go against the grain, and you're also trying to move out of your comfort zone. Mm. And that's no small feat, but it's not impossible.
6: We're we're taught, I think, uh, a bit in this country. I think it's an old Irish thing, anyway. We're, we're taught yeah. to to not praise ourselves and we're we're taught to, you know, not speak up for ourselves, not to be, as the old saying was, not to be full of ourselves.
8: Absolutely. Yeah.
14: <clears throat> Excuse me. But yeah, it definitely I was going to mention that as well. Like growing up in Irish culture, you know, we think it's harmless to kind of put ourselves down. We, we can't, like you say, just keeping ourselves grounded and, you know, not getting too big for our boots and things like that. But really, if you persist in negative self-talk, that's where the danger is, because thoughts essentially are harmless because they're kind of surface level. When a thought becomes damaging to us, a negative thought is when we start to give emotion to it, when we start to believe it and we let it fester and linger within us. Because what happens with time is your thoughts start to become your beliefs, start to become your programming, your subconscious, automatic beliefs and behavior. And it's funny, actually, because I myself um, was living out in Italy there for a while, and the culture there around this kind of thing is totally different. You know, it's very odd for them to think that um, you talk down about yourself or you put yourself down or you keep yourself grounded. It's very much like the opposite culture of, you know, you should be confident and you should talk well of yourself and boost yourself up. And there's definitely something behind that.
6: If someone said to me one time another similar discussion to this, Rachel, if you don't like yourself, how can you expect yeah. anybody else to like you? So you need to work hard on liking yourself and being kind to yourself when you talk to yourself.
14: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, you do become what you tell yourself you are. You know, you do revert back to that all of the time, and. A lot, you know, we, we think we're very dependent on external factors, whether it's kind of the situations that we're in in life or um, how other people give us validation or what other people think of us. But at the end of the day, it is our own perception and everything that happens to us in life is filtered through really the perception we have of ourselves in relation to that thing. Give me an um, example
6: of language that you might use and then language you might use instead to say pretty much the same thing in a different way?
14: Well, I suppose if, you know, if you have a, a kind of a goal that you have a resolution this time of year and it, it, you've stopped doing it or you haven't done it for a couple of days or whatever it is, you could say to yourself automatically something like, well, of course, that didn't work out because I this always happens to me. I'm, I'm such a lazy person and, you know, I have no motivation or I'm not good at that thing naturally, so it's never going to happen for me. This type of thing. Mm. But what... you what you could do with that instead is just observe the thoughts that you're having first and create some distance between you and the thoughts. So you're not being emotionally triggered by it so much. And once you understand what you're telling yourself, you want to say to yourself, hold on a second, <laughs> let's sit with this a second and let's try and soothe ourselves with this as much as possible. I'm doing something new here. It's not normal for me. It's not my usual way of thinking, and it's not my usual path of action. Mm. How can I make this easier for myself? Mm. What am I doing right now that I could change small, bit, make certain alterations to it, that I can make the process easier, more efficient, and more enjoyable for myself? How can I enjoy myself? doing this process as I'm moving through it. Mm.
6: How important and, is it to say to Rachel now and again, do you know what? I'll start again tomorrow and everything will be fine.
14: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it comes back to the self-concept as well, PJ, just understanding yourself and understanding that no matter what is happening outside of you, you're good. Who you are, you know, you have every opportunity to build and cultivate your own emotional stability and balance and empowerment within yourself. And it's knowing that no matter what happens, no matter if you stumble or, you know, you fall down and all this kind of thing, you can just start again tomorrow and you're still going to have the same you know, self worth, the same value, the same opportunity to build again what you started before. There's really no difference. It it all comes down to our confidence and our belief within ourselves. And knowing as well that like these kind of things they're not linear. You know, it's not like you start on day one and every day you get better until you get to day ten and then it's done and then that's it. That's rarely the way it goes. Um so it's giving yourself a little bit of grace as well with that.
6: Yeah. Now the restrictions, as you know, they've rolled them back now and we can come out again and and sort of what? emerge into the dawn, as it were. And some people's mm-hmm. confidence has been shot to bits by the last couple of years. So how do we yeah, get back?
7: Uh, you know, it's funny, a lot of my
14: clients come to me and it really is 50-50 about how um, the pandemic and especially the lockdowns really affected people. Some people actually thrived during that time because I suppose they took it as a time to really kind of look at their lives and and see for themselves whether they were happy um, to continue going down the path that they were going beforehand. It did definitely create that pause for us to kind of look to ourselves, look to our life and kind of just sit back and realize a few things. But then as you say, you know, on the other hand, it was a very tough time for most of us, especially, you know, being isolated from people and what that does. Um, to to the mind and to our natures as, as humans as well, we need that contact with other people. And then, you know, when we don't have contact with other people as much, we can become very isolated and internalized within ourselves. And our confidence, even in interacting in society, and you know whether it's our work or going meeting up in groups or, you know, just being in generally busy places, can really really be affected. But you want to, first of all, before you look to anything outside of you, I saw a running theme reading what we're talking about here today, but it's to cultivate emotional stability and balance first, before you even think about fixing any problem out there, any problem outside of you, anything anyone else is doing, because your, your perception of whatever is happening is always being filtered through this. Yeah. So you want to get to, if you want to get to a place where your confidence and self-worth is irrespective to your outside environment. We always have the option to empower ourselves all of the time. Mm. You know, no matter where you are, no matter what you're facing. Um, and then you're not so overwhelmed when you can reach that place um, because you're not focusing on the problem.
6: Yeah. Yeah. You can when when you know people have been spending an awful lot of, of time on their own or just in somewhat cocooned surroundings, you can start focusing on the bits about yourself that you don't like very much and you can start thinking that they define you and that's that's a recipe for disaster
14: It is, it is, as I say, you know if you let something linger that feels negative to you, that's just going to be submerged deeper and deeper within you, you know, but it, it is about becoming the observer of yourself and just catching yourself and, and using your thoughts more so as your guidance system, rather than letting it inform you about like, this is the truth of who I am. And this is the way it's always going to be. And what's the point kind of thing, because it's not, you know, it's just the programming that you've let yourself fall into and that you run with probably for you know a significant amount of time.
6: Rachel, do you have a website or a uh, social media that people can catch up with you on?
14: I do, PJ. Yeah. So people can find me on www.rachelfranciscoaching.com um, or they can also find me on Instagram at I am Rachel Francis underscore and they can contact me through either of those platforms.
6: All right. Okay. Listen, good to chat with you today. Uh, Rachel Francis, who is an embodiment coach. Be kind to yourself, be good to yourself. You know, b- b- amplify the good stuff and let the bad stuff into the back seat and if you had a lousy day today with regard to that New Year's resolution, well to hell with it start again tomorrow and everything will be fine 0818 96 96 96
8: Can we just talk
3: opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With
1: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. C-M-I-G dot
3: Cork's 96 FM.
6: It's a while since I had the uh, job of going around Cork City with baby in tow. Quite a while. And to be fair, if I'm 100% honest, I never did a whole pile of it. Because most of that was done by Queen Bee back in the day. But how friendly towards babies is Cork? How is our city designed with babies and parents in mind? Uh, Denise Cahill is the coordinator of Cork Healthy Cities and I'll be joined also shortly by Catherine Harford. There is an event tomorrow uh, on Eventbrite about learning to develop a child-friendly city. But just start with you, Denise, on that particular question. Is Cork child-friendly and in what ways is it not if it isn't? Good morning.
15: Good morning, PJ, and thanks for having us on. Um, Yeah, I mean, you could ask the same question. Is Cork a healthy city? And we're designated by the World Health Organization Um, who says that we are a healthy city because we're committed to developing healthy environments and um, making our city as healthy as possible. So we're very keen in Cork Healthy Cities to support this initiative uh, to develop Cork as a child-friendly city. I think we have a lot of good work in place um, and, you know, there's lots lots of room for improvement like anywhere um, and there's lots of enthusiasm for this and we've committed in our action plan uh, for the next 10 years to support um, efforts to develop Cork as a child-friendly city. Um, I think we've had some great experiences in the last number of years with European projects in Cork. Uh, the Playful Paradigm Initiative was really positive for the city. It was an Urbex project.
6: What's, what's
10: that? Um, now?
15: What
6: playful, what is where, where? What's that? Playful paradigm.
15: So, so the Urbex project, um, Cork City signed up to so, to develop as much playful opportunities as possible across the city, um, modelling on the city of Udine in Italy. Um, and what we did is we've developed a number of pop-up play activities. Um, We did some work, i talked to you about it before, PJ, on the marina, Mm -hmm. where uh, we didn't say we were closing the marina, but we were opening the marina to play uh, back in October 2019. And I think that initiative really um, helped to develop the marina as a permanently pedestrianised zone. Um, We've also worked with the Glucksman in uh, UCC um, and Cork City Council around the city development plan and a project called the Freedom of Our City, which was about giving children a voice and a say Mm. in the city development plan. And that was really effective. You know, children don't necessarily want huge, um, huge, massive things that we can't provide for them. They want spaces to play, they want to feel safe, they want green spaces, they're concerned about climate change. You know, their their concerns are, are very much embedded in, in the way we're working anyway uh, yeah. in the city. Um, and I suppose we're, we're keen as well at the moment to look at the whole issue of air quality and, you know, the health of children and play and, and getting the voices of children heard in that and the impact that... Poor air quality has, and and our behaviours really contribute to that. Um, yeah. In terms of you know driving our cars around the city, idling our cars at school gates, um, and even burning of of our our fires at home, and the air quality in our neighbourhoods. So, mm. we're keen, I suppose, to to lend the health lens into this, and and to to participate um, as, as much as we possibly can okay. to make Cork as child-friendly as possible.
6: Let me bring in Catherine Harford, who's Programme Manager for Let's Grow Together. What, what are the things, Catherine, do you think, good morning to you, that make a city more child-friendly or not, as the case may be?
8: Yeah. Uh, hi, good morning, and thanks for having us on. Um, there are, I suppose, thinking about children from pregnancy all the way through their childhood. They have different needs and different experiences at different ages and different milestones in their life. Mm. Um, So I think it's important that we understand that at different stages of their life. So it's about asking children themselves And as Denise mentioned, the Freedom of the City um, piece there, we've done a lot of consultation in our work in Let's Grow Together around asking children about their experiences. And there is um, a lot of uh, things. So you you talked there at the beginning, perhaps, about what it's like um, for a toddler um, or a baby. And I suppose we understand that a lot through their parents and caregivers. So... For them, it's about about the easy, the, making things as easy and stress-free as possible, mm. so that that allows them to have a good experience and a good relationship with their with their infant or or baby. So that might be things around access to public transport, um, might be access to schools and preschools, um, and the quality of those services and also, things like you know access to the city center, mm. making that as easy as possible, and facilities that go along with that um, but and and also access to services as well, so your health services these are all really important key things, and I suppose for for children as well, you know the fundamental things around you know a home, a roof over your head, secure the feeling of safety and security, yeah. even in your neighborhoods as well as the city center so When we've asked children what's important to them and what helps babies to feel safe and to grow and to be happy, it is about their parks. It's about feeling safe on their roads. It's about um, playing with um, granny and siblings and and friends. So we have to enable and make that possible as much as we can in our physical environment as well as our relationships, I suppose. And you bring that all the way up to maybe teenagers, um, it, it, we, we did a big submission to the development plan that I can, I can talk to you about who we are in a minute, but um, it's very important that teenagers feel like they're being supported to connect with each other and to feel part of their city and part of their neighbourhoods. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so it's about positive language and positive attitudes towards um, to, towards young people as well as very young children, mm-hmm. and there has. And I suppose the other thing we've learned, really, is that if you get this right for children, you get this right for everybody. Because a city that's of really good quality for children has lifelong benefits for for those children themselves, sure. but also for everybody else. Um, you know, we all we all. We all need access to these services, these facilities, okay. and we also need to, you know, connect with the city in a good, in a in a positive way.
6: Tell, tell me a little bit about "Let's Grow Together." Let's Grow Together.
8: Well, we're based up in Mahaney, um, but we uh, cover the northwest area of the city, and soon to be in the Mayfield and Glen as well. Um, and we are supporting um, families and um, service providers. In their efforts, I suppose, to give children the very best in life from the very start of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we work in homes and we provide a lot of community supports, um, and we work with schools and preschools as well, and we provide a lot of training to others across the city. Mm-hmm. And I suppose what we do here is also what children kind of need everywhere. So sort of makes absolute sense for us to connect with healthy cities and playful paradigm and sure. freedom all the other initiatives to kind of support and promote children's needs and their well-being
6: okay now the event tomorrow is a webinar it's on from 11 to 1 um how can people get yeah. involved in that and what will, what 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 form will that take
8: Well, there is a lot happening in in Cork City and to be fair, you know, the council and other uh, agencies have been very supportive of this work. Um, It's a webinar to learn from others though, so from other cities, European, um, UK and actually Northern Ireland as well. We have Belfast attending as well and the city of Liverpool and the townland of Billund in Denmark and they're going to be sharing their experience of promoting their cities and communities as child-friendly cities and the processes that they went through, um, how they engage children, um, and what actions, Mm. I suppose we, we want to move to actions. And so we're going to be hearing from those cities. We're also going to be hearing from Professor Laura Lundy, who's now based in UCC, Um, but is an expert in children's rights and children's participation. So it's about learning from others and it is an open event. So anyone can attend and we've had huge interest Mm. and people connecting with us outside of the event as well. So I'm hoping that this is the start of the process. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm hosting the event, um, you know, but we want to hear from lots of different stakeholders and we will be hearing from children themselves
6: over time and we want to get that right so that they have a key input into this you know, Do you know just to, to you both there just before I let you go isn't it amazing too that one of the positive things that has come out of the pandemic is that you'd be able to tie in tomorrow with Liverpool with Belfast with other yeah. places just on a screen like this was unheard of two years ago we can have an international conference on the computer screen
8: like it's it's, it's absolutely fantastic for Mm. our work to connect internationally Mm. and you know the local is global and the more we do to link up with others share resources and share learning the better and this this does there has been a huge shift there you know we'd normally be trying to cram Hundreds into city hall or wherever, trying to get as, but you know, and this is a cost-effective way of doing it as well. It
15: is. It's wonderful in that context, and I suppose it's to just bear in mind that during the COVID um, restrictions, that that impact on children of being socially removed. You know, we are Mm -hmm. conscious of that, and. And um, while there were you know positives in that people, I think connected more into local communities and children, you know maybe um, were able to play a little bit more because they were less engaged in organized activities and in their local communities, that there were negative impacts as well that we'd be keen to um, be mindful of and to take action around. So um, yeah, we'd we'd love people to come along. You can register on Eventbrite. Um it's the Child-Friendly Cities Initiative in Cork City. If you put that into the search bar, um, you're very welcome to register and, and come along and have the conversation with okay. us.
6: From tomorrow, 11 to 1, Catherine Har- for Harford, Program Manager for Let's Grow Together, and Denise Cahill, Coordinator of Cork Healthy Cities. Thank you both. I think it is. It's one of the things when, when we look back on the, the few years of this pandemic, what we will probably have taken from it is an opportunity to have international conferences without leaving the office, which is great. Or leaving even leaving the kitchen, which is good. I mean, from the point of view of broadcasting alone, like we can talk to people in the four corners of the world using technology we'd never even thought about using two and a bit years ago. But well, that's, that's by the way, tomorrow, eventbrite.ie, and you can register for that child-friendly city conference. What do we need to make our city more child-friendly. We, we, we left it out today uh, because people are kind of settling back into the office and they're, they're waiting to know what their boss is going to say to them. If you've been working from home, you're waiting to know what your boss is going to say about coming back into the office. And some people might want to stay at home. Some people might want to do hybrid. Some people might never want to see home again as a workplace. Do you remember? And we don't know what our rights are. We don't know what's going to happen. So tomorrow, if you have any questions about returning to work uh, and the rules that may, that may pertain to that, uh, we'll have somebody on the air tomorrow who'll hopefully be able to answer uh, some of your questions. So pop us an email, opinion at 96fm.ie, opinion at 96fm.ie about going back to work and your rights and what you might want to do, face what you might can do. That's tomorrow. Programme today edited by Fiona Carkin, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow, just after nine.
8: Can we just talk
6: the Opinion Line on
3: Cork's 96FM.
1: With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for
9: motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance.